Hey everybody, it's John. I wanted to remind you that we do have a Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash alien minute. Over there on Patreon, Mitch and I discuss subjects concerning movies and television and just about anything else we want to talk about. So uh, if you want to come over there, you can subscribe for $2 a month for one episode or $5 a month for every episode at patreon.com forward slash alien minute. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to another AMP commentary. Today we will be talking about John McTiernan's classic submarine film, The Hunt for Red October. The most brilliant commander in the Soviet Navy. Remy has trained most of their officer corps. He's nearly a legend in the submarine community. The most deadly submarine ever built. This thing could park a couple of hundred warheads off Washington. Nobody would know a thing about it until it was all over. Once more, we play our dangerous game. Without all the vessels, the American Navy. His plan is a mystery. A man with your responsibilities reading about the end of the world. Apparently, he has suffered a kind of nervous breakdown in which he announced his intention to fire his missiles on the United States. He wants to help you hunt him down, kill him. Open the outer doors, firing point procedures. We sail into history. I'm going to blow him right to Mars. Ramius might be trying to defect. You're just an analyst. What can you possibly know what goes on in this mind? I'll give you three days to prove your theory correct. I am not field personnel. I am only an analyst. You're perfect. I'm expendable. He's defecting. You willing to bet your life on that? From the best-selling novel by Tom Clancy. From the director of Die Hard. Give this man a chance. My orders are specific. Battle stations. Sean Connery, Alec Baldwin, James Earl Jones, Scott Glenn, Sam Neill. The Hunt for Red October. Welcome back from that amazing trailer. I'm Mitch Bryan, and we're joined today uh, by Aaron Hamer Beck and Jason Heck. Welcome, the two of you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm just glad to be here for another commentary track, particularly for a, a John McTiernan movie. <laughs> Yeah, this is John McTiernan number two, right, Jason? Uh, me and Mitch did Predator about a year ago, maybe? I can't remember. I, I think I dreamed uh, that we did Nomads, but yeah, I know for sure we did Predator, and it was Nomad, sensational. A, a Nomads commentary would be a nightmare, not a dream. <laughs> it would be a nightmare. Yes. Pierce Brosnan's accent alone would cause us uh, many a nights. That's what we call special night. defects, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, we have uh, uh, three submarine freaks here and I'm not one of them what? I know less about submarines and submarine movies than than you guys so I'll be the one fumbling most today I'll be the one f- fumbling second most today I love submarine movies but I'm not some expert on them by any means I just love them and I'll be yeah, throwing I... out Kurt Jurgens references left and right well I know his name's Kurt Jurgens. it's both god <laughs> <laughs> What did you say, Aaron? Oh, yeah. I yeah, I um. So I started writing a, a submarine movie called The Perisher, and I um I had to defer a lot of the technical stuff to my husband, who is a submarine expert nerd, loves all those things, because otherwise I sounded like the uh, 
the lady in Throw Mama from the Train in the uh, creative writing class where she's like, <laughs> dive the boat, and he pushed the button, and it dove the boat. It's like, maybe you should learn some of the terms before you write this. Yeah. So. so was your screenplay named for the Perisher course, the Royal Navy submarine course? Yep, exactly right. See, this, yep. is, this is why Mitch brought me in. He, bring, <laughs> he brings in the nerd, the sub-nerd. That's the sub-nerd. <laughs> dive, well, dive the podcast, Mitch. Dive the podcast. Okay, here we go. So what I'm going to ask, if you're going to follow along, just uh, start the movie, and then as soon as the Paramount logo fades out, you can hit pause, and that will be the point from which we will start this commentary track. So I'm going to assume you've done that. And unless there's any reason I should not do this, I'm going to say, start right now. So from that, we go to this prelude, which apparently wasn't on the original script that was faxed to Sean Connery, and he passed on the role because it was during Perestroika, and he said that it makes no sense. And then they said, no, it's a period piece. And then once he realized that and saw the first introduction he was on board so how about that well it's interesting right you adapt a book that has essentially geopolitically wise at least become obsolete because in 1984 when clancy releases this i mean reagan is just in full evil empire mode and we're putting pershing and minuteman missiles everywhere and and everybody thinks we're getting i mean the day after was only a year before this this book was released and suddenly 1990 everything's hunky dory and mcdonald's in red square so it's kind of instantly obsolete and yet it succeeds incredibly well just based on its own merits, even if you remove the politics. I think it was because the audience was still craving the Cold War in some way. They're like, we want more Cold War. We're not ready for it to end, at least not in our movies. It's super so simple, let's... right? They were easy bad guys, right? They replaced Nazis. Oh, yeah. So, it's yeah, it's nice to have black and white. So the obvious challenge in adapting the book and casting Sean Connery as Ramius is that if I understand correctly because I never read the book because I'm sorry I just can't manage to read Tom Clancy right. <laughs> he you for a minute you have to think that maybe he is going to blow up the world going to start the war right and if it's Sean Connery we know he's not going to do that well that's what I love about the fact that they chose this movie star I mean he is you you just you fall in love with the movie right away because it's Sean Connery but then he does all of these horrible things he's such a baddie I mean he breaks a guy's spine it's it's crazy so like this perfect anti-hero but in this opening moment if you read the book it is a really long exposition it's basically the opposite of what you want to do in creative writing you don't want to start with exposition you want to start with action right and he literally is just sitting um you know watching the shores these icy shores and thinking about all of the reasons why he's doing this and you get so much internalization of his conflict the beautiful part of this movie for me every single time is what sean connery does with his eyes it's subtle it's powerful it's like he is reading the book in his mind while he's acting it and it's just it's stunning for me that's what makes it really timeless 
Well, let's talk about this mock-up of the submarine since we're looking at it right now. Mm. Uh, Jason, you get, what is it? Well, it's 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 basically built on two barges, and you can actually see the bottom line of the hull uh, with, with the waves. But nobody knew what a Typhoon-class submarine looked like. Um, the movie gets it completely wrong in every single way. We found <laughs> out after Perestroika that, that it was a lot cruder, and, uh, and, and it's built, it's, it's three hulls. You can't access the missile tubes from in the boat, so there wouldn't be a chance of incinerating the ship, etc. But nobody knew that in 1984 or 1990, and they built this, inc- I mean, it's real. There's nothing digital here. They built this enormous, like, six or 700-foot mock-up of a Typhoon submarine, and so it's, it's pretty cool, but it's on two, just basically two barges, and they welded up a, a top on them. But yeah, the the Red October in the in the uh, in the movie is closer to a star destroyer than it is to an actual valves right. and and analog, you know, Soviet submarine. Yeah, and it's better for it. I yes, think. absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's a I mean, we weapon. want we want this to, we want this the set to be exciting. There's an awful lot of of naval business going on. We don't want it to be a cold <laughs> atmosphere. We want it to be an exciting. A visually exciting atmosphere, so go for it. Make it a Star Destroyer. Absolutely. And, uh, and we'll get into it probably when we get on the Red October set, on the bridge set, but it's it's one of the best uh, built, br- br- uh, like, practical sets, I think, ever. You know, when we get into the uh, science of how they built it and how it moved. And, and there he is, Mr. Blast Furnace Charisma at the height of his power. You know, he was so great. I can't believe he walked away from this. He was so great in this movie, and he was. This would have made him catapulted him, you know, and and he walked away. It's so crazy. He's such a perfect Jack Ryan. Yeah. I mean, he's like nerdy and and warm and and clumsy too. Like by comparison to Ramius, he's so like befuddled all the time. I love Alec Baldwin in this role. When when Harrison Ford takes over, it's just not the same. It's Harrison Ford playing Jack Ryan. It just doesn't feel like. Jack Ryan from the books, you right? Know? The analyst, an analyst, yes, which is what he is, yes. right? He's a geek. He's earnest. He he knows his stuff, but it's all out of books. And so you drop him in the practical world next to this grizzled warrior who has taken out every new submarine. And yeah, the contrast is kind of great, but also the meeting of their minds is kind of great too. Yeah. Before she wanna... leaves the movie, I guess we should mention that that's <laughs> Doctor Crusher that he's married Gates. to, right? Hello, right, Gates. Goodbye, say, we... Gates. Yeah. We've already knocked out two thirds of our female speaking roles with <laughs> the daughter, the daughter Anne Gates McFadden, who was on a break. She had been released from Star Trek: The Next Generation for uh, Doctor Pulaski one season on the show, and she took advantage of it and was in this movie. And then um, I don't know if she was going to get the role in later films, but she was busy shooting a. Uh, TNG, so she never came back for, uh, to reprise the role. And, and this either. is the third speaking role, female speaking role, right? And this is it. We're done. <laughs> Once the scene is over, we're done with female speaking roles it's for like the entire the movie. It's like the inverse Bechdel scale or something. It's, <laughs> it's like three female characters in the first ten minutes. Oh, that's great. Yeah, but there's no more. After and they never films. speak to each other, and they don't so speak get, about anything get, besides a man. You get, you get one in Die Hard and one in Predator. Right, so McTiernan yeah. McTiernan knows who he's making his movies for and who he's going to pack them with. But I gotta say, as a woman watching these types of movies, I love this in the same way that I love Master and Commander, because you have a sensitivity in men, and there is there's a 
bond that's that's you know sort of a bond of friendship it's a bond of um you know a, a kind of a power struggle and it's it's complicated and i don't know there, there's a sensitivity to this movie that i really love like in sean connery it's just and and all of the ways that that jack ryan loves his children and talks about them here in this scene you know there's there's something really lovely about the the portrayal of men in these movies or in this movie it's yeah, a really but, warm movie all the way all the inter interrelationships even when people don't like each other there's a strange warmth between these actors it's it's like i think everybody is upping their game because they're playing against characters who are so beautifully cast and cast with you know really heavyweight actors there are very few bad actors in this movie there may be a couple of of shaky performances but by and large everybody is really good and there's a lot of familiar faces in it james earl jones is brings incredible gravitas right off the bat to this thing i i would say too that there's a there's thought towards the um professional respect among all these people as well even if they're on different sides or to have different thoughts on the situation i think that they're being thoughtful uh within the story of these people are all they've reached these positions because uh, partially because they've earned them and and they respect each other for that. There's nobody, even when the one guy will get to it when we get there, uh, misunderstands Ryan's uh, bona fides. Uh, he's turned around real quick once he gets that information, right? So I think that's part of the, the kind of warmth between them as well is that sort of military professional warmth, I guess. I think, to, yeah, that sort of speaks to Aaron's point that what we're dealing with is a lot of people who are in a, in a very small community, um, yeah. you know, in both in Intel and, and, and Naval ship intelligence and all of this stuff and so everybody kind of knows everybody else like you know i i know who skip tyler was and and i know who this admiral is and so it's i know who jim greer is and and i know how jack ryan went down on a helicopter everybody i think it's it's a small tight community and so i think you kind of have to get along to an extent i should just mention even though we don't have any sound uh, that we're listening to as we watch this, I do want to mention the score that announced the movie in a, in a really big, beautiful, choral, Russian, symphonic way, which by the time we get to the end becomes a score of electronic drum beats and drum riffs, which is so bizarre by the time you get to the end. But this big symphonic score by Basil Polidorus is another thing that just kind of lights the movie up right from, right from the beginning. Um, yeah. I actually wanted to say something about it too. I'll bring it up later when it comes, but the title reveal in the title sequence is one of my favorite moments in any title sequence, honestly, when the camera zooms into the red October and then we're thrust into black and then we get the Russian and, and, and what Palladoris does there, it sounds nautical and it sounds like we're submerging. It's he, he does this multiple times where he has these little cues in the music that give you the feeling of being underwater and movement of the ships. And there's one later that's the best. I, I'll just say, in case we talk over it later, it's when the Caterpillar Drive is, is first discovered by the Americans. And there's this moment where it's like, it sounds like it's disappearing. Sounds like something's disappearing and it sounds ma like it's magical somehow that it disappeared. And that's the look everyone has on their face as well. It's like we couldn't possibly have just heard what we heard or stopped hearing what we were hearing. And a nice role for Courtney B. Vance as our so as uh, our sonar guy. Um, he had been, I had just seen him I remember when I saw this, I had seen him as a doc in Hamburger Hill. And um, 
that was just a, a sort of powerhouse performance in the Tour de Force. And this is a little bit lazier, but but it's such a great role as as the guy who you know thinks that the ship is his personal stereo system, and and yet who knows his business better than anybody, and and knows it well enough that he can track an 110 billion ruble top secret silent drive. Um, I like how he, the confidence. You know, I'll bag it again. I, I think he's it's, pretty it's great. A, it's a laid back role, not a not a lazy role. I think. Right. I think that he's he's very much at ease with his abilities, and you're you're really attracted to that confidence. Now he's having this scene here with Larry Ferguson, the screenwriter, who uh, had said he hadn't acted in 16 years or something <laughs> when he when he actually assailed this role, and I think that. Uh, Courtney kind of blows him off the screen at this point, which is just <laughs> fine. That's just that's just fine. Uh, but it has the whole scene has an ease to it that I really do like. And probably if you listen to what Scott Glenn says about the time that they spent on uh, a real nuclear sub and his relationship with the captain of that and the kind of ease of command that he said existed on the boat, they really do capture that. I, I really believe that even the new guy uh, is probably going to rise to the occasion because he's in good company with all these sailors. I was going to point out that uh, Seaman Beaumont here is played by a guy named Ned Vaughn, also a veteran of Star Trek The Next Generation. He he was Captain Picard's best friend back in the Academy. That they He time travels back and gets stabbed and has to get an artificial heart and all that stuff. You know, Tapestry, speaking, I believe, is the name of the episode. Speaking of Star Trek, do you know who else has a Star Trek connection in terms of appearing as a background extra in multiple, in a few different episodes of the original series? Uh, Fred the Hammer Williamson? No. Basil Polidorus. <laughs> oh, Basil really? Williams. I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, apparently he was at USC and uh, got some work as a background extra on the original Star Trek in the 60s. Back when it was Basilou Studios, right? Before they changed it to Desilu when he owned it, right? <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, uh, that was that was a weird time for Lucy's the romantic life. It's very weird. Having her 11th child at age 60, it was very weird. <laughs> and here we have these beautiful practical models being flown around um, at ILM on wires in these smoky rooms um, to make it look underwater, and it's all beautiful practical stuff. With Please. some computer stuff added for the textures of the water and i guess also for the propellers yeah uh, creating a, a waver in the in the water and instantly i love the change right on american subs it's everybody's kind of on a first name basis and here it's conscripts with shaved heads and the hierarchy where only the officers are granted you know technical knowledge everybody else kind of seems like they're you know, button pushers and, and coal shovelers compared to the expertise of the officers, whereas on the American ship, everybody kind of seems really well trained and knows how to do a variety of things and is very confident about that, whereas everybody on the Soviet ship snaps to and seems a little afraid of authority. And check out the costuming details of that as well. Like on the Dallas, buttons are unbuttoned and, you know, every, like sleeves are rolled up. Everybody looks pretty casual on the October it is I mean it is very I mean the the detail of those uniforms is like within an inch of its life every every button is buttoned every crease is 
creased and polished it just and and just the it, it adds to the aesthetic differences between the warm tones of the Dallas and then the red October that's all like glossy and finished and shined everything is super polished like the, these guys have been polishing all day long and that's their one job on this boat and yeah like jason said it's like everyone has a job to do and it's not really shared so here's the big trick the big transition from from russian to english which i think was from judgment at nuremberg maybe was the movie where they did this it's pretty elegant it's pretty pretty easy name checked it i think that was that was where mctiernan got the idea well, it definitely blew my 14-year-old mind. That was just one of those little things where I was like, amazing. Like, in, the, how innovative that is to me at that age. I thought it was just the, one, of the, one of those little things that started to feed my mind to make me want to be a filmmaker. Those little moments like that. And the vast I, majority of these Russian uh, characters are played by, by Brits or Kiwis. There's one Russian actor we'll get to in a, directly when, when he shows up. But we've got... Peter Firth here, who became a famous actor, uh, was a childhood actor, but ultimately when he was in Equus, he was he was noticed as well as in Tess, the Roman Polanski film, and so he was he's been around a while. So one more actor that brings a real kind of gravitas to these to these roles. An extremely Friendly. erect cigarette. An incredibly erect cigarette. <laughs> that is like Richard Dawson's pinky finger. Look at that Back thing. Back in the days when you could smoke on submarines. Yeah. <laughs> I think we should point it, it out, too. It just always this amazed a... me. It's like, what, we're going to put you in this tube filled with oxygen, and then we're going to let you smoke. I don't know. It always it always seemed really weird to me. Well, they'd probably be like, you're not going to stick me in that thing without letting me smoke. smoke. Right. But now, right. But, That's a nerve-wracking job. Now, I, think that it's, I don't think you get to smoke on submarines anymore. No. I think that has changed. We, we really should point out this character's name uh, is Putin. Yeah. Um, Sample it, Putin. I, do, I don't know if Clancy had uh, knowledge of Vladimir Putin at the time. Maybe he did. Uh, he was he was well uh, entrenched in the intelligence community at this point, right? So well, This political officer is probably KGB, right? So. Yep. Yep. Connery's hairpiece, $20,000. It's well known yep. that what it costs, and let's be honest, it's worth it. He looks amazing in this the movie. The first <laughs> version of that did, uh, he had a ponytail. Oh, no! Really? And it was horrible. It oh. was horrible. Everyone was like, no, you cannot wear that. He, he, he wanted to have a ponytail. They were like, absolutely not. No, so it'd be like no. Captain, Captain Rick me- Baker on your ship. I was going to say, that explains Medicine Man a little bit <laughs> exactly. better for me. Exactly. Like, they just had to follow through with the ponytail. It started with Zardoz and couldn't <laughs> give it up. Yeah, thank God his contract didn't insist on yeah. it. We did talk about this movie a little bit on a previous episode, actually, when Jason, we talked about Sean Connery, who we have not mentioned at the time of this recording has recently uh, passed. Part of the reason why we're doing this episode, but... um. I w- we talked about the hair hairpiece a little bit and how it's so good that they almost made it the centerpiece of the poster. Like if you yeah. look at the poster, the way he's framed and everything, that's kind of what I think about every time I look at the posters. How that hair <laughs> spikes up a little bit. And... Kiss your Putin goodbye. Oh, and he's so. Ha- this is a high point for Putin. <laughs> he's feeling good. He's so proud yeah. right now. <laughs> you almost feel sorry for him, and then this is brutal. 
Okay, this is that... how you go out when you slip on some spilled tea. Clearly. Do you notice right? though oh. before that? I I noticed this the last time, and I've watched this movie so many times. But there's a second before that where he's looking at the tea. I think mm-hmm. that he po- he was trying to poison him, but he didn't drink, and so yeah. now he has to viciously attack him. But like you see, again, Sean Connery, what he does with his eyes is nothing short of magic because he looks down regretfully at the tea as he's is starting that why, to. Is get that why ready. he tosses the tea on the floor then? If well, he wanted to make it. Not- Look like it was right, slipping, but, but maybe but to get rid of the evidence. But if it's poison, you'd want to get rid of it anyway. It's not yeah. bad I speculation mean, at all. Science point to that. What is, is it? He, what is I he going to do the... with this burned-up piece of paper? Too. I love how he says, "Send send the medical officer down." And I just wonder, the medical officer is going to walk in and be like, <laughs> "This is it's a really down? sloppy it's a really sloppy murder." I mean, let's face it; it's yeah. impromptu. It had to be done at the moment, but it's really he gets away with it because he's the captain. Not yeah. because nobody else is getting away with this. Where everybody, everybody has to be thinking this is very odd. But what are we going to do? He's the captain. And I just want to point out the scale of the picture right here, just in mm-hmm. case we decided the movie wasn't big enough yet. This is massive. I mean, this is just amazing. I and wish I knew about this. Is this? Uh, do we know what? Are we in a real graving dock? Or is yeah, this a that's a real Los Angeles class submarine with a real um, uh, Avalon. Uh, DSRV um, over it. The Navy, what this was to the sub force, what Top Gun was to the to the carriers. So cooperation out the wazoo. This was a recruiting poster, and that is a real DSRV. I'm not sure if it's the Avalon or um, I forget what the other the name of the other one was, but that's a real Jeffrey Jones, right there. That's that's a complete. <laughs> and, whether you want him or not whether you want him or this not. time we did you know. he was so great this is a guy who i really he is he is for me the perfect example of trying to cleave personal life from the quality of his work because i love him on screen i adore yeah. him on screen doesn't matter if it's beetlejuice or ed rooney or the austrian emperor or skipped i i love him and so yeah i i want him on screen i just kind of hold my nose a little bit but he's great in this we're about to get another one of those warm moments here. I always love this. How how's your back? He's I, just these little things, man, that really carry this movie. There's a lot of things. There's another scene coming up very soon that I want to talk about as far as what I think was one of McTiernan's strong suits as a director at the time, and why his films were so successful. At least these first three, or really just Die Hard in this. But it's this idea that. He's, he's really good at getting you from the big points to the big points, like carrying you through in an entertaining fashion without on-the-nose humor, without uh, having to be too overt about it. He just lets the characters be. There's a humor kind of flowing through his movies that's not necessarily jokey, and there's these warm moments like this one here. But he, the, even the, the foreshadowing of the small mini-sub, it, it goes right by. It's easy and mm-hmm. happens. And if you look, if you're paying attention, great. And if you're not, it doesn't matter. But it's it is in a way earned and set up so that when it does appear in the movie, we've heard about it before. Right. It could. You know what? It's like this scene is an easy thing to forget. This uh, with all that happens and all the time that passes between now and the time we see the DSRV. Somehow, though, as soon as you see that thing, it, it, it's such a big payoff to you. And it's like what? It's like how high is it on the on the list of priorities for all the other plot points of the movie? Not very high, but yet it is so so well set up that it does hit you when when you finally see it. And I love all the welding lights flashing on them both. I think that's great. It's a great touch. 
Well, one of the things that I was thinking about when writing my my submarine movie was about all the pleasures of submarine movies. Like, what do we want? It's its own genre, right? It's, you know, the, the, there are war movies, sure, and then there are submarine movies. And, like, one of the big pleasures that is that you have to have the glamour shot and one of the things like Jason said you know there, there's a lot of cooperation here um, unlike Crimson Tide where they had to steal some of those moments they had to actually like steal some submarine moments to put in their film because there was no cooperation in that and so that's mm-hmm. what's really lovely about this is that again and again we get really beautiful submarine moments yeah, that's why they had to shoot the your prologue on a French aircraft carrier mm-hmm. in Crimson Tide because the yeah. Navy said we will support nothing that has mutiny in it. Which yep. I, yeah. I still I think there's some sort of drama. Oh, that's why they had to put the whole thing at the beginning of Kane Mutiny that in the whole history of the United States Navy there's never been a mutiny. That's right, that's right. But yeah, this was just a recruiting poster and it's it's so great. That's so good. And I think we, we discussed previously when we talked about this movie that as far as a recruiting poster, it really worked on me. I was I, after reading the book and seeing this movie, I really wanted to be a operator on a submarine, despite being a pretty severe claustrophobe. <laughs> I went out and bought so my it, first it made snorkel. No sense. So really, we right. were teasing a pod. And I just here, wanted here to we've be. Got, here we've got the wonderful Timothy James Curry, mm. the hapless Doctor Petrov. <laughs> Poor Doctor Petrov. <laughs> it's such. <laughs> he's. I mean, it's amazing about him because he's, he's so funny just there's something about him and his floundering for trying to maintain some kind of authority or control in the face of Sean Connery who's just so powerful it's really great and again that's another one of those Curry's entire character line is one of those things I'm talking about where it's just carrying us through the movie it's entertaining and funny without being it's never jokey there's like one musical cue that goes down with Petrov later that is oddly on the nose, but also kind of works. Uh, but just something about Curry's character. He doesn't have to do anything but play it straight, and it's hey, funny. Hey, look, there's that shot of the cook from The Hunt for Red October. <laughs> right. Isn't that in, don't they say that? What movie is that? Isn't there a movie where somebody's, is it, it's in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, right? Where he oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Some remark about that. That's right, yep. Oh, I forgot to, Mitch, did you look up the, um, the guy with the glasses in the background, Jason, you remember that guy's name? He's the, the stunt, he's a stunt man. Yeah. He's a stunt coordinator. He was a stunt coordinator and he worked a lot with McTiernan to the point that McTiernan just started casting him because he's the, he's kind of the right hand man to a, uh, uh, deputy chief of police, Dwayne T. Robinson and diehard as well. Oh, you're and right. Yes, you're right. I think he had, I think maybe he had more hair, but yeah, he looks yeah, like he has that's more him. hair. Yeah. And he has he has another role. I noticed he gets hit by a car in a movie, and I'm forgetting which movie that is. But he he sadly passed away uh, quite a while ago, I think. If he got hit by a car, then he died doing what he loved. I right. We should I, all be well, we should all be so lucky. I love how Connery also. I love how Ramius rebukes the doctor and gives him that pass. You know, I'll try and forget that you're trying to do your duty when I issue a report. It's so great. Oh, see, thank you. Thank that's you how much. you get away with murder if you're the captain of a submarine. 
I, lo I like, love that part of Clancy though is that he uses his like knowledge of the the political structures against his characters. So like Ramius is is so wonderful because he's messing with the system from within. And the if you've read the book, there are so many stories of why he does this again and again. We he like he overhears his uh, when he's a little uh, a kid he overhears another kid talking about her father kind of going against the state and he tells his father who is like a big wig in the state and suddenly the little girl's father disappears like all of these things he knows he knows how to use something like that against uh tim curry's uh, uh character like I, I'll, I'll not document that and you'll be fine that's mm -hmm. pretty expert you're right he he definitely knows how to exploit the system to take his 30,000 ton submarine away from the system. And these yep. words being uttered right now by Sean Connery are not Tom Clancy. No. They are John Milius. Yep. That sure feels right. Wow. Who came in and did a rewrite for Connery. As he did for, for Con at Connery's request. Correct? At Connery's request, yeah. yeah. I will only accept a rewrite from the man who can destroy me in physical combat was what Connery said and Milius was the only one who could <laughs> only the man you who know, could kill me could rewrite me <laughs> speaking of John Milius he said about Basil Polidorus that when they were all in film school together he was like Basil was ready like when, when I met him I knew that he was already there and ready to, to write great movie scores you know the rest of us were fumbling through film school learning and Basil had it already yeah you t I remember you told me that when we were watching Conan at one point I think we'd gone to, to see it like a, at a screening you told me that story and he kind of was like fully formed when he showed I up I think at he school. says it in the documentary or in one of the commentaries or something wow. but yeah yeah now this looks like an actual submarine exposed valves exposed everything squawk boxes horny crewmen um, but yeah, that's that control room is just amazing looking, and Sven Olathorsen with his some might call it not great oh, singing is that voice. Who that is? I that's, didn't recognize him. That's well, oh my gosh, he actually plays a torpedo later in the movie. He's that big, <laughs> um, but there he is with his amazing voice and the caterpillar coming online with that big thrumming bass, which is so great, and the weird neon light coming down. <laughs> right, the what's the light source? It's pretty great. It's yeah, pretty great, and then the flutter, the little squirt, and then. Pew. And this is where the cue comes in, right? The, yeah. I think it is. It can't hear it, but it's the da da da, and it fades off. And of course, Aaron, here's one of your submarine movie pleasures right here. Oh yeah. You gotta, you gotta break into song in a submarine movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. If the Red Army chorus and band isn't one of your great pleasures from a submarine movie, it's so right. cl so cliche at this point, obviously. You gotta have you gotta... that musical moment break up all, all the all the techno babble. Right. <laughs> I think it was this and Operation Petticoat both featured something like this, if I remember yes. right. Oh. Well, my favorite part's when uh, Ramius actually gets into it for just a second. He does one little arm like thrust is his only cooperate his little dance move along with the shanty here, but um 
Let them the shoot. Bow, I don't. I don't know why the bow planes weren't out before, but it's yeah, still I was going to ask you about that. What, 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 I couldn't tell whether that was a trick of the camera or no. Just, it's they're their, just extended. I don't know why. I mean, they should come out the minute the boat isn't on the surface because it uses obviously hydrodynamic forces to go up and down. It doesn't just use flooding tanks. And but, are all those plates along the top? Are is each one of those a, a, a that's torpedo the mis- tube? Those are the missile tubes missile tube? for the SSN twenty yeah, Sturgeon nuclear missiles. So we got the that was our first crazy Ivan, correct? That we get in the movie. And then we're all no, it, well, it's turning away. I love how they're all gimped. Oh, okay, that's now. right. They're, this isn't a crazy Ivan. This is just turning, but that reveals it gives us a little bit of the rules. So we're now we're we're starting to get into the rules of submarine warfare, where okay, you make a sharp turn, somebody's in your baffles, you you get them on your sonar, right? So we need to know this kind of stuff for some of the tension that comes later in the. So in the submarine battle scenes, you know, it's interesting, Aaron, you're probably you can probably comment on this. It feels like there is this incredible reliance on expository dialogue to help us understand what submarines can and can't do or what can and can't be seen or what can and can't be spotted on on sonar and stuff. Right. I mean, dialogue super important in these things. You know, it's important to note that, like, you you know, while all of these things are fictional, because this is the secret, uh, you know, that everything is secret, we don't really know. Um, Like, even, even, like, depths and things like that, like, we don't actually know any of that. And it's all very, like, technical. Um, and all of it's very top secret. Like, I mean, they, they you know, um, I think Clancy got a lot of his information from, like, sailors that were getting drunk and, and spilling their guts. Um, but, I mean, it was it was all very, very top secret. And, um, and so they have to kind of put into it a little bit of sort of a fictional fiction, but a world that makes sense. So, yeah, and, and, a lot, and they don't have any fish out of water characters at this point, right? Jack Ryan is is not on board and he would be such a great opportunity to use that like oh let me explain what these things are doing to the audience so I think a lot of it's actually done visually which I think is really really another nod to um, the directing but it just seems like so much of the sequences when the submarines are maneuvering each other and outmaneuvering and moving here and there that the dialogue is really helping us to understand what's what's going on it's not like two jets flying in the sky and you know which one's on the other one's tail and you know one has to push the button and shoot the other one i mean it's 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 they're flying blind in a way and so it seems like dialogue i don't know is really crucial for a good submarine movie and it's and it's a delicate balance too because you don't want to be too technical you know you don't want to have it be nothing but commands and and repetition and you know uh it, it could really get bogged down with too much technical information. So they're giving us just enough to, to kind of understand um, uh, submarines. And they also move them much, much, much closer than they would be in real life, which also helps. You get a visual basis. They're about a football field apart. When Jones had just said they were 4,000 yards off the bow, and yet it's clearly about a boat length away from it. 
So they, they do show them sort of dogfighting in the way that like whales or like the Enterprise and Reliant would um, in that sense. You do get some visual references by moving them a lot closer together because real submarine combat takes minutes and minutes and minutes for torpedoes to get there because they move at 60 knots and if you're firing it from five miles away it's going to take some time. So you got to move it all closer and speed it all up. I did want to backtrack to that previous scene um, as it was one of the things I, I had mentioned earlier that I think is so brilliantly carries us through the movie. I think we just had this giant moment where the Caterpillar drive is enacted. We see the Americans, uh, uh, their issue with that, their, the problem that is now this obstacle that's now uh, uh, beset them. And we make this really elegant, I think, transition to back to Russia and we get this funny moment. And I remember seeing it in the theater and everybody laughed their asses off at the yah yah. Yeah, yeah. It's not a joke. It's just a guy walking through the room, but there's something so funny about it, just the way it's handled. And it brings us it brings us into this next sequence of the film in such a nice way, but then we start then we start hitting the ground running. We have this little reprise, we laugh for a second, then the shit starts to hit the fan again right away. And then there's the deer, another deer laugh the that comes up. Another laugh comes up in this Right here, scene that I'll point out when, when we get to it. Well, yeah, this too. This one was a big laugh in the theater too. I remember just him stopping and looking up like that. Smack, and he's still frozen. He tries to jumpstart him with the clap on the shoulder, and he doesn't even budge. And his, yeah, but what a perfect guy to give you that uh, that pep talk. Sure, Greer is <laughs> James yeah, Earl Jones. Yeah. It's very comforting uh, in a situation like this. And that middle picture is very famous. That was the only picture that was the only picture available of the typhoon for years and years and years. So if you look at any book about submarines or navies from the 1980s, that's the only one they had of the typhoon. So then these, that would make these photographs of the Caterpillar drive pretty, like they're pretty much pushing the, the reality here. Like how in the world did they come up with these pictures? I never thought to question it, to be honest, until you said that that was the only, the other one was the only photo they actually ever had. It's like, well, then they get, then they get this amazing, like on the dock. Right, right. Some serious drive. human intelligence going on right there. That's a, guy, they, uh, that's a guy who got resettled for a new life near Disneyland, I'm sure, after he delivered those photos. Yeah. And then they zelig Dramius uh, into that photograph, because that looks pretty, <laughs> a pretty real photo, too. So here we've got uh, Dirk Pitt, the, the original yeah. Dirk Pitt, yeah, coming raised the Titanic. Another movie where a ship did not want to come up, yeah. <laughs> Richard well, Jordan, he's who so great. is a superb actor, he was really something died in 1993 but always brought this really interesting energy to every role that he ever ever played yeah i always think of him from the friends of eddie coyle that's my yeah. first and other yakuza, than maybe this he's movie, in the yakuza but, as well and yeah. he's he's in dune the david lynch dune if you go by yeah, stars on your true. movie ratings he's kind of one of those guys who will knock a movie up a half star just by being in it if his role's prominent enough he's just mm -hmm. i love him he's really great thank god he was in logan's run so we got that extra half star, and then for Jenny Agutter, we got another half so star. So that's a yeah. full star that that movie yeah. got. Yeah, <laughs> that's a full star. Yeah. God, that movie. But this is great. This is where we actually see the idea that 
these are Cold Warriors in the middle of the Cold War because we have to go back six years from 1990 and that there is a submarine and the entire Russian fleet heading out with no normal exercise schedule pouring into the Atlantic submarines too you're you bet they're terrified and freaked out and and concerned it's it's pretty great oh one point out the brilliant move there I, I've always loved the blocking there where the intelligence guy is behind starts speaking behind the uh, general there and then leans forward. There's just something so beautiful about that. That, that guy's that just tells you that that's a guy that lurks in the shadows, or his people lurk in the shadows. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. You just get that nice little the moment. Spook at the table, right? Yep, exactly. And he has this talk about Barry in the lead. Like he just had a whole... <laughs> yeah, that look. not easy to do an exciting scene at a table with a bunch of people talking and McTiernan really keeps it happening yeah and all, all due respect to Barry Sonnenfeld but that swish pan there and all the all it adds to the urgency of the moment you get this big story we see a panicked general we swish pan over to another the sound there's murmuring in the background it all builds the tension here nicely yeah. and Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Aaron. No, the argument is like cacophonous, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody's talking over each other, and it's just like zooming in, and we're like, I mean, we're like closing in on Ramius, Ryan, Ramius, Ryan, and it's it's fabulous. It links them up together for the first time. They're they're like the 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 pair that will carry this film. And I love that while the cacophony of the argument is happening, he's thinking through the problem. And that tells us a lot about his character, too. These people all panic. These people are uh, they are thinking about 20 different ways that this could all go wrong. And he's trying to figure out exactly what's happening. And he's so he's the analyst at the table. That's what we got. And, I, and he, he acts like his character. I love the effect of all the slides in disarray, like the briefing is done and, and it's it's everybody's panicky and stuff. And he still manages to see what he needs in those slides. It's pretty great. Mm -hmm. But he works it all out right here and explains it all out and it makes sense except to these hardened cold warriors who obviously have to gamble that he's going to park off Washington and shower nuclear warheads on the country and I got to say Ryan's theory here I I would be skeptical of it too <laughs> like yeah. somebody tells me oh today's the anniversary of his wife's death I'd be like you think he's doing this because of that I mean it'd be hard to believe but as a movie viewer, I believe him. Of course, I trust this guy. Again, like knowing, like if you've read the book, there's so much to that. There's so much to yeah. how the the state really um, didn't take care of her. There was a, th a theory at one point that maybe they were watering down meds, so she wasn't, you know, she she wasn't properly being cared for. The the uh, doctor that operated on her was drunk. And, you know, again, like no one, no one, even though he had given his life to submarine service, no one came to his, and, and he, because it's communist, he doesn't even have a God to pray to. So right. he doesn't even have a way to properly mourn her death. And so, of course, he's doing this uh, in retaliation of everything that, that you know, in, in in the film, they don't get into that. And I think that it has a lot to do with the fact that maybe they thought, well, of course, he wants to come to America. America's awesome. Right. And I the guess, book goes yeah. into much more detail. And I think the doctor who killed her, like his, he was related to a Politburo member yes. and that's above reproach. And yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. 
I will say though, Ramius never gives me even the slightest impression that he like cares about America. Actually, he's he's actually more insulting to it, and it seems as though this is just basic duty for him, and that he might live in Canada. You know, <laughs> this is all over. Uh, I'm not sure if he cares about America, but you're right. The audience might just default to that mentality. Like, sure, if everybody wants to come to America. Sure, I believe it. Fine. I will live in Montana. Right. <laughs> love a yeah, recreational vehicle. <laughs> yeah, I figure Ramius probably ends up in Nova Scotia. He, I, they might even say at the end of the book, but it's been 30 years since I read that book. So believe it or not, he ends up in Branson, Missouri. That's oh. the really shocking <laughs> well, part. I guess he and Yakov Smirnoff are yeah, some say, kind of thing. Yeah, I Yakov's down there. Yeah, what a country. Yeah, it's, they love Submarine it. sinks you. Yeah, they, they love it. They have the best time. Yeah, it's so yeah. weird how it ended up. Hey, so is um is Richard Jordan's character here, is he Dixiecrat or Texas Republican? I've always kind of wondered what I was supposed to take from this guy. Is, You're right, the accent, yeah. yeah. I think it's Texas, but I always kind of thought... A little Charlie Wilson to him, maybe? A little kind of, a little Texas schemer? Yeah, okay, little playboy to him? I like the Charlie Wilson we, angle. We did skip over a great uh, laugh, I just wanted to say. The minute that James Earl Jones says to Alec Baldwin, I told you to speak your mind, but Jesus, Jack. <laughs> it got the biggest laugh, I think, of the entire film in an audience. There's something that just releases the tension in such an amazing way where you feel like uh, James Earl Jones's character is actually trying to get out of there. <laughs> he's, he's like, you just dug yourself in this hole, buddy, and knock yourself out because I'm leaving. <laughs> well, it's funny because if you want to take that you know the conference scene and uh, for what it is in a movie full of military and action suspense and tension they create this wonderful tension based on the fear of public speaking right so i feel that 100 percent. so when he's up there speaking they play it up it's terrifying and then you get that moment where he sits down behind james Earl jones where i am always thinking oh i love that part that's my favorite part of public speaking is when it's all over and i can breathe easy and then he enters back into the fray and the tension builds back up again, and he's, like, staring down these big wigs all around. So that moment is a really a much-needed laugh, I think, because there's a, there's a couple of spikes of tension in that scene. So the big laugh is, is fantastic. And then Jordan brings some laughs in there, too. Yeah, for sure. That, that so, kind of really so we've got laughs. another submarine in this movie. This is the yeah. green submarine. Uh, <laughs> that, so that helps us keep them straight. One's the blue one and one's the red one in terms of the interior lighting, and this is the green one. But you've got Stellan, Stellan Skarsgård here, who's just superb. So we've got a Swede playing a Russian, and yep. he's really, really great. And that is an Alpha, and Alphas could do 45 knots. They were the fastest submarines ever built. They could outrun Western torpedoes, and they had they were tiny. They were super small. They had a hyper-small reactor that was cooled by liquid sodium. And so it was this crazy advanced reactor that could give them all this power, and in 1984, they were like uh, they were they were like lightsabers. They were crazy advanced and terrified NATO. And one after the other, they all kind of crapped out next to the dock with reactor problems. And they scrapped. They they had service lives of maybe 15 years. But at the time, in 1984, the Alpha was this 45 knot monster that was absolutely terrifying to NATO. We could dive deeper than our torpedoes. In fact, we came up with the whole Mark 48 ADCAP, or Advanced Capability Torpedo, just to kill this submarine. Hey, but you have anything to say about the lens used on this shot? Doesn't it, is it, 
change the th- something changes when they go to the shot that it looks well that's a zoom eyed. lens i mean so it's gonna, yeah it's, it's a zoom lens so it's going to be slower and and mushier i guess yeah i always thought it was it was but i don't think there's any other part of the movie where it looks like that way it has that appearance i've always thought that shot yeah. stood out Oh, poor Dr. Petrov trying to be part of the group, trying to be part of the boys, and he's just awful. He's he's a snob. He's when he's he, a gossip too, well, and he's not allowed to eat. No, <laughs> oh, that's kind of rough. We'll, like, let the guy eat. We'll then have save you a beat. It's fine. You know, I always, you know, when I think of Tim Curry, the first film I ever saw was Rocky Horror Picture Show, and I thought he was this enormous guy because he's wearing these enor- you know platform Oops. shoes yeah. and in this movie he is smaller than everyone it's like he's a kid on the ship yeah. <laughs> i wonder if, if if connery's on a stool or if curry is in fact four foot one because that's <laughs> certainly how he seems next to the presence of connery which is the guy might as well be devil's tower i mean he's just he fills the room <laughs> and the screen and the sub with his presence so here we have boris krutenog one of the few russian actors in the movie Great, lately seen in The Americans. Yeah. I made a movie with him, and he was a real character. Wow. And he was a method actor and uh, interesting guy. We used to tease him, asking him whether he was KGB. He might have been. (laughs) Until a director of photography disappeared on your shoot, and then we had second thoughts. That's right, yeah. Yeah, this is interesting though. We see that there's not uniformity among his defecting guys. It's mm-hmm. and and yet he, so he another it's another problem for him to corral and deal with and manage. But he doesn't seem to be at all bothered. And he doesn't by give it. two shits as he pounds away Which on his is, pork I, cutlets or whatever he's eating. I, I suppose is the purpose of having him eating in the scene. But I've always thought Sean Con- maybe Sean Connery shouldn't eat on screen. He's, he's over. He's not overacting. He's overeating. I mean, there's no well, doubt about it. He's giving this performance. Literally eating, chewing the scenery. Yeah, he's eating with <laughs> insolence. But he does. Connery doesn't have very good table manners, guys. I'm just going to say he <laughs> doesn't. He doesn't really close you, his mouth. Yeah, Mr. Brave saying it now that he's dead. Yeah, but oh, you wouldn't yes. have dared well, say I'll that say when he was alive. There's just something that's always kind of bothered me. He eats with his mouth open. And I think it's a Connery thing. I don't think it's a character. And this, I think there's even another this, film where they couldn't get him. I forget. I felt like I read somewhere that they couldn't get him to close his mouth while he was eating in a scene in another movie. And he was just like, I don't eat that way. And that was that. This is great. His reveal that he's put the Russian fleet on their butts to make sure they complete it. It's, it's great. I just... I wonder too, because like I, I see so much nuance in his performance, and like in in the scene where, um, you know, they they ask him, should we would should we stop them from singing, Captain? I was going to ask you about that when he moment, stared over. Yeah. Right where he where he, because he is a guilty man. He is literally bringing these men, and they could very easily be be blasted. To in and sunk to the bottom of the ocean, and all of these innocent men who aren't a part of this plot, all of these enlisted men would be dead with him, and he's got a guilty conscience, and so maybe that's why he's eating, you know, to kind of because he's afraid, like you know, if he if he falters for a moment, they're going to see right through him, and 
you know, the, the whole plot unravels. I mean, the, the, the job of a submarine captain is so precarious because they have to be thinking in terms of all of the lives on board in this, you know, in, in this claustrophobic environment, this dangerous world. Um, and he has to balance all of that. And so maybe in this scene, that's why he's the only one eating because no one else is eating. Everybody is too nervous to eat. And maybe his response is to just, you know, I, I don't I don't want to be still because then they'll see me shaking or so, or something like that. I don't know. Because I always felt like he's doing it in earnest, almost not not like he doesn't give a give a flip like he actually is doing it because he's so nervous about the the things that he's done i don't know or he yeah. loves pork cutlets maybe yeah yeah this is like a third helping for him i mean the captain <laughs> the captain should be getting maybe his food no one first because right? there's none left right <laughs> you know in these naval movies submarine movies or ship movies the second in command the xo is as important as the captain more important than the villain probably and I just think that's one of the ways we measure these movies, you know, that that relationship, whether it's master and commander or whether it's Star Trek, you know, you know it's all about this relationship between the, the captain and his and his second in command. Yeah, you think about Das Boot and the captain's relationship with his chief engineer, who is his his other half and his right arm. I think you're right. The XO is, and obviously in Crimson Tide, that's the source of of the conflict is XO versus Captain. And there we got your gratuitous Dukeman, Mister. Yeah, so here here's no one of the yeah gratuitous comedy moments in the movie where you bring in a comedian. <laughs> so this is our he's electrical engineer, funny as opposed to Chris Chris Elliott in The Abyss. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You but yeah this is a. Is it Duckyman? Is that how you say it? Dukeman. Dukeman. So he was the electrical engineer in Die Hard, yeah. but for some reason is the only one that knows who to call this to turn is, off the grid. This is Walt down at Nakatomi. Yeah. 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 And, Shut uh, it down. and of course Shut his it. big role is uh, what was his name? Art in the Burbs. I think his name was Art. Yeah. And Grant. Yeah. As Tom Hanks, that was his biggest role of his career for sure. Um, hey, look, we're on another ship. Yep. There is something very strange that happens cinematically in this scene that I want to get you, your take okay. on. It's it's really odd to me, and it's always struck me as like why why do that? It's it's a strange moment. I I I, I just need some clarification on what actually happens cinematically in this, from those of you who are filmmakers. I do want to say they they definitely intentional uh, uh, blocking right there to have Fred Dalton Thompson step into the lamp like to say hubbub. Like, we really want you to have your face lit really well when you say hubbub. <laughs> just something about that. So we want everybody to know how Texan you are, sir. You can see all their reference materials, including oh. Jane's fighting ships right there, which every Navy would have right there. So this is the pivotal scene of the movie, right? Plot-wise. This doesn't happen, no movie. Like, it's really, really where Jones, why Jones really sticks with you as this x-factor character in this film he's the only he's the one really doing the work everybody else is kind of like sitting around talking and he's the one actually putting in the work he does not think run home to mama is funny at all (laughs) (laughs) 
So this scene completely ripped off from Star Trek Four, by the way. Just want to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> and and by the way, with re- regards to Fred Dalton Thompson, I know you said Texas, but I don't want to upset oh, he's Tennessee. anybody Tennessee. from Texas. Sorry. Yeah, Tennessee by way of Alabama. Yeah. But I believe he's playing a Texan. There we go. I oh, you it. think so, huh? Do you? Really? <laughs> I see. Well, I'm just trying to cover my. John ass, said it to everybody listening in Texas. John said it. Obviously stolen. It. Yeah, they're all going to be so mad it. at me for saying. Well, you know, with the Texan, you never know. Well, that's why I'm not worried. I thought about it was it. just everything is bigger in Texas. Where's this taking you us? You can always tell a Texan. You can't tell him much. But you can always tell a text. I like how he's finally I, impressed. He's calm. Yeah, when he's like, relax, you sold me. That I mean, Scott Glenn is just mm-hmm. superb. In Not since the challenge have we seen Scott Glenn so, so self-possessed. He's another so. one that adds that half star to every You're right. movie. Scott You're right. Glenn is so... And, you know, he's been around for so long. He trained you know, in the theater for so long before he started getting his breaks in movies and just has, he's so, he's this amazing sort of charismatic on one hand and then yet, and yet really calming on the other hand, even though he played that villain in, in uh, Urban Cowboy, he has this really understated charm that's just great. Certainly on display when his eyes were glowing green in the keep. I think so. I think so. <laughs> and Jonesy, does, he wants he wants something from the captain there. Yeah, he was it's expecting a little, a little bit there's more. There's a little father-son thing there, yep. I think the other thing is, with this movie, there's so many characters that... It's a challenge to assess each one of them. Who's the who's the asshole? So this guy, he's an asshole. I mean, this is and, and so it's like, who are we supposed to like? Who are we supposed to not like? Where does right. where does the Fred Dalton Thompson character there. fit into this? That was that's the, the moment. Thing. Yeah. The the oh, focus yeah, yeah. rack. Yeah, yeah. It seems odd. I don't I don't know. Like it just it it seems like a a moment in camera when like this movie it it's so easy to swish swish you know uh-huh. or or like the you know or you know edit um shot re, you know reacts you know you, you don't have to like actually do something like wacky and it's done there it, it, I don't know that wacky moment it feels like that, there should be something more important in that moment that I just can't find right it wrecks focus to for him to sit talk about the Russian taking a dump yeah it's a very weird moment to, <laughs> yeah. To, yeah to to accentuate that way it's a strange moment oh, you're right sorry <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt no no it's like I really? no comedy is what is it comedy plays well in a full shot and then if you can ask add a camera rack of focus and a dump <laughs> right, line, right. you're good I thought it was in a gorilla suit and a gorilla suit gonna, and you're good there we go I, I, <laughs> I remind this I, I love flag country as depicted on board the the uh, an aircraft carrier it's a reminder of that it's a good thing to be a, an admiral commanding a carrier battle group I mean, look at that place with paneling and, oh, my Lord. I do want to say, I'm forgetting the character's name, the other, the, the asshole, as you said, Mitch. He's, a, he's an asshole, but he's not, he's, he's not wrong exactly either. And he is a thoughtful character, I think. Again, we're back to this. There is respect. He's not, he's not an idiot. 
he's asking some real questions, you know, and, and they saying, both have look, more this power just doesn't than make Jack sense. Ryan does. And so, absolutely, you know, who's going to side with Jack? Who's going to be the ally? Who's going to allow him to win or lose? And who's the one that does? The one that knows his background. There, there we get back to the uh, military, the professional respect. Yeah. And once this guy learns the truth about him, he has respect for no, him. No, he backs Next off. time we see yeah, them together. Totally. Well, they're friends the next time we see them together. What I don't get is how the admiral or the captain, the, the jerk, doesn't notice an Annapolis ring. I mean, okay. everybody who is in that fraternity of what they call ring knockers in the Navy would recognize an Annapolis ring. And he's like, well, you're kidding. I didn't see that. Really? Really? Well, that makes him an asshole then. <laughs> and here we're going to get an, another interesting move. A nice slow dissolve. Almost interesting fade, choice. Yeah. We haven't had one. We haven't had one, right? Yeah. And I love you can see the screws not turning. It's great and lets you know that it's getting through there on on the on the jet drive. It's pretty cool. And there's Sven smoking for good health, keeping those muscles huge. And we're saying that water vapor we saw, for lack of a better term, water vapor's a uh, oxymoron, but. Uh, that's computer generated. I'm it is. guessing it's that's part of the effects. The, the few things that they did with the CGI in the film. Yeah, so we're what one year after the abyss. So doing water was about what CGI would be able to do at that point, I guess. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The the Red Route One gimmick is pretty great. The, the hyper accurate so, survey readings and everything, and the secret way for them to infiltrate the Atlantic. It's great. Ken Olin from 30-something as the navigator. Is that right? No. no. It just looks I didn't like think him. so. It's Ken Wall from Wise Guy, you idiot. <laughs> wrong it's Ken. Ken Wall it's and Ken Olin and a, a little bit of Paul Reiser. Ken Olin. Boo. I think there was another Ken Sorry. who was in that show Super Force, too, but I don't remember which Ken that was. They're all wrong. All the Kens are wrong. Well, I do like I, I do like this navigator character. We haven't really gotten anything from him before, except for a couple of you know when they make the turn. But he's got to think. Boy, this really gives you like tells you how nerve wracking this job is when the captain just changes course in the middle, recalibrate, refigure. Oh man, this always makes me so nervous. I could in a million years I could never do what this guy does. And the score is beautiful as mm -hmm. the ship is in the is in the canyons. It's really gorgeous. Uh, instantly comes in and screws up right his, oh. seriously it's like, just <laughs> recompute uh right no you heard him you know the practical effects and the smoke and everything for those underwater shots i love the fact that it's still kind of obscured it's you still have to kind of watch closely and lean into it i can't imagine them doing that today I feel like mm -hmm. with CGI, they'd, they'd have everything so bright and clean and clear. All you have to do is look at that that one, uh, was it uh, Hunter Killer, that awful submarine movie with Gerard, what's his name, that just, Butler. Gerard Butler, that just yeah. came out, that was appalling. Yeah. Um, a waste of everybody's talent involved, and it was CGI from stem to stern, if you will, and it was dreadful. I thought I you think were that was say stem to stern, <laughs> Jason. <laughs> I think that was the first submarine movie to come out that I just said, no thanks. Like, my whole life, if a submarine movie comes out, I go see it. I don't care. And that was the first one where I looked at the trailer. I said, 
Yeah, I think that's going to be it for me. I streamed it for two ninety nine and still felt ripped off. And just again, right. once it's one of those things where you're like, Gary Oldman got a kid in grad school. Like, what what made you decide that this was worth your talent? Right. <laughs> and uh, he Gary doesn't o- even he doesn't even add anything to it either. I mean, there's anybody like, that could have been a Brian Keith. That could right? have been anybody. Anybody. <laughs> it was awful. It was so dumb. I'm forgetting what was the Jude Law one? Black Sea. Oh yeah, I think that was the last one I actually went to see. Wasn't Ed Harrison and one it was too? Real. I think he might have been in, in that, that one. one. Yeah, it was not very memorable. No, but give me the subtlety I... of K nineteen, the Widowmaker. Yeah, <laughs> you know I watched K nineteen a couple years ago with my dad again, and it wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. I actually, yeah, I thought, thought it was better you know the what? second time I watched it. Me too. I, I I think I was so caught up in the Harrison Fordness of it oh that I gosh, forgot yes. how tragic the movie is, how tragic the fate of so many of the characters is that actually really works. Um, and it's and by the end, I was on the board with Harrison Ford, and I felt him like at that funeral scene at the end and all that. I was like, "Now nah, that worked. That worked for me." Can we also just go back in thirty seconds and acknowledge the coolness of Connery catching the cup, the mug, as the after, ship with after the, fastening his seatbelt, right? With that Which I think look. is also interesting. Which we should then bring up what I brought up before. This is a giant moving set, right? So it's on high. It's a big hydraulic stage. Not sure. I mean, I'm sure they built some, but boy, this one. When I see pictures of it, I wonder if they'd ever built one quite to this scale before. Maybe I. I just don't know. But there's that fantastic maybe Entertainment Weekly or Premier Magazine photograph of. Alec Baldwin and Sean Connery standing firmly with their arms crossed, tilted, tilted like at a. Yeah, it was like a two-page spread. I remember that yeah. picture. It's one of my favorite behind-the-scenes photographs ever. It's beautiful. So Connery pr- probably really did catch that cup. That's yeah, what I'm saying. I think, I think they're, they're really showing off the... the set in that moment to make it very mm-hmm. clear that this is a practical. Yeah. Oh, the way he hangs up that phone. That's the first time he's ever been mad at the CO here. <laughs> I always forget. What's his name? Sam Neill's character's name. Borodin. Uh, Vasily Borodin. Vasily, I think is what he's referred to mostly. Yeah. Shit rolls downhill because he's not real happy either. <laughs> no. Nope. Right. There you go, Boris. <laughs> and who does he take it out on? <sighs> Get me. And, uh, we've, got, uh, we, we've got a grouchy Eastern European. Get me Joss Ackland. The call goes out. <laughs> Whether it's South African drug peddler or Eastern European, it doesn't matter. Get me Joss Ackland. Oh, he was hot as a firecracker was, coming off of Lethal Weapon 2, man. That was still pretty community. iconic. <laughs> People still say that. I don't think they even know what movie it is anymore. They still say diplomatic community. He originated the role of uh, Juan Perón in the, in really? the first stage in the first stage production of Evita. Isn't that really? wild? Yeah. Doesn't he strike you as someone who's got some stage training? Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, he was the big bad in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. We don't want to forget about that. Yeah. <laughs> push, push, push in, push in, push in. That's great. Yeah, the fencing that goes on between these two characters is just fantastic. It's a great example to of dialogue where everybody's talking around everything. Everybody's trying to conceal their position and yet, you know, make sure the other person knows they've got more leverage. It's really a terrific negotiation. And this this is one of the so the relationship the scenes between these two characters 
this is definitely where we're starting to like veer into the Jangoistic pleasures of the movie, where it's we're really rooting for the American to put this Ruski in his place, right? Like as each scene progressively becomes more and more comedic, and showing this Russian diplomat to be more and more of a well powerless out of his depth, out of his depth yeah. I mean, he's just doing his job, and he can only give yep. up so much information, yep. so he's in a really precarious position. But just the way Jordan plays against him, he's definitely... I mean, there were laughs all through. Not, yeah, not this definitely. scene, but later later scenes with them. I like him at the thought of the joint rescue. and You can see him working through exactly what to say. It's great. That cut to white is really disorienting, isn't it? I was pretty it's sure that well, we lost it. I thought so, too. <laughs> and I just it recently you, watched this. Yeah, I watched it, it on a big screen the other night, and it just about blinded me when yeah. that happened. But it puts you right, the way they pull out of that white really puts you in the in this like gut-wrenching helicopter ride yes. right away, though. Because the disorienting uh, uh, element there really works. No, the only planes that are four-engine turboprops are anti-submarine planes, either the American Orion or the Russian Bear. Right, I said helicopter. This one's a plane, right? Yeah. We'll get, the, we'll, ahead we'll to get our, that in the edit, peaky. John. We'll get that in the edit. That's fine. <laughs> it's like you were constantly referring to Neil Connery throughout the movie. We'll get but that, too. But they do <laughs> have, right, they, there's two kinds of sub-killers, right? Some are planes and some you are got helicopters, helicopters which fly off yeah. of ships and you got planes which can carry more yeah. sono buoys and and more weapons there's a big bear which is the noisiest plane ever made it's the turboprops are enormous and apparently are just screamingly loud This is great. Clearly, a, they filmed a, a dummy torpedo being launched, which is great. That's again, that helps to have Navy, Navy cooperation when you make your big movie. So, would you guys explain the countermeasures a little bit more to me? Well, they basically they're they're chemicals. They they chemicals that start to bubble and fizz. Like it's basically uh, Alka Seltzer, but on a massive scale, and it's designed to make enough noise, enough white noise, to hide your screw your screw noises from from the torpedo and does the torpedo then not have anything to home in on or does it home in on the countermeasure torpedo's sonar is really small and really weak so it has when you drop it it's kind of programmed as to where to go and then the seeker head comes on so if you fool it long enough your submarine will get far enough away that it's not going to hear you with its weak little sonar um so that's why you, you put those countermeasures out there to try and get it to turn a circle, which they do, um, to, to keep looking for you. And it takes some time to turn the circle, and hopefully by that time, your submarine's further farther away. Um, this was really done really well in Crimson Tide, um, which uses countermeasures, I think, two or three times. But the, the, the effects technology had come, I guess it was, what, six years after this, and effects technology had come along a little bit better, and they can depict it. Um, a little bit better and it's it's pretty cool looking in the movie and this is in some way going to foreshadow what will happen to Tupolev's ship boat mm -hmm. sorry well uh, yeah we start getting hints end. about about how about crucial timing of torpedoes and arming them and, and how long it takes for them to arm once they leave the tube and stuff like that and we start seeing Sean Connery who knows how to calculate in his head how to evade a torpedo 
Thank you, Jason. You can go now. <laughs> I thought I would talk about cuisine of the Russian submarine fleet. <laughs> Secure borscht. Prepare to dive. Yeah, it's great, though. It's, it's, it's him doing it in his head, which is really cool. That's, again, that's Connery at his old dog best. At the guy, I can do all of your jobs here on the bridge. It's great that you're here to man these positions, but I could do it all. And he's great. There's a really cool um, documentary series that the BBC put out on the Perisher. And it takes you through five different Perisher students, one of which is an American. Um, and uh, the, uh, the, the scenes where they're in the periscope and they have to do that trigonometry because they have to think in 3D. They have to think, I mean, in, in they have to, so when they're, they'll pop up the periscope, look at a warship, you know, dreadnought or is coming towards them and then they have to pop back down and immediately do the math so that they can avoid it but also keep an eye on it. And it's just, and it's, it's incredible the amount of math that they have to be able to do at an it, like at a, at a moment and I love that too that like Sean Connery is playing this like no stopwatch no you know just just hearing the commands and just making the decisions it's it's brilliant it's it's very authentic to what a submarine captain would have to do he takes in the data and he's I love his eyes are closed he's processing it all and timing mm-hmm. it all in his head it's terrific yep totally at no point do I watch this movie and not believe that Sean Connery is is at an actual submarine commander. <laughs> right. He's it's like Tommy Lee Jones cast as a Texas sheriff. You're going to buy it yes. absolutely and completely. He's born 100%. to do it. 100%. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and here we have the one crew member who's allowed to use cocaine or at least he seems like it, the engineer <laughs> who is just as over as over caffeinated as uh, get him some more medical cocaine. I always think that he's kind of coded like a uh, like a classic film mechanic. Like so you know what I'm talking about, like uh, "Kiss Me Deadly" or something. A I'm just trying to think of something. Grease monkey type. He always a grease monkey. He's always got the cig hanging out. He's a little got a little smudge or something on him. He is a little hyper. Like a lot of times in those old film noirs and stuff. I'm just thinking about "Kiss Me Deadly." How there's the the Greek guy and he's just always hyped up. Um, <laughs> why? But he is definitely he's the mechanic. Captain, so. the chief engineer requests permission to go to 105 percent on cocaine consumption. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure he sure could take it? Let's go to 105%. So this does not seem to be one of those short submarine showers that I have heard about. Mm-hmm. And that's something that Jonesy would have got. Remember in the book, he is given what's called a Hollywood shower. That's, that's your right. reward. You're allowed to have a good shower instead of just get wet, turn it <laughs> off, lather up, rinse. A Hollywood shower of 10, 15-minute shower is a huge luxury on a submarine, and they're given out as rewards they're given in the it book. To him. It's a really yeah. nice so I will, you know, as as perfect as I usually say this movie is, I do think that that scene's a cheat, a little bit of a cheat scene. Would you say so, Mitch? Like, okay, we're going to stop the movie and we're going to just have a guy talk to himself and figure out a problem. It's just everything else is happening so naturally in this movie, and that's yeah. that one scene. But don't, you, don't you have to I show like the, the energy analyst analyzing? Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah. I like the uh, energy of it, and I like to see him think, and I like to see him think in a way that's it, different than the way Ramius just thought, you know, which is close your eyes and count it in your head and you can kind of see your lips moving. He's actually okay. talking to himself, which I don't know. Well, 
You're right. I mean, I would also say, I guess, now that I'm I'm thinking I was wrong, I think you guys have already convinced me. Well, is that we've seen him analyze in relation to others thus far. And he's actually, you know, so in conversation with others, we've seen him work things out. It is nice to see he is a bit of a lone wolf still here. So uh, he's flying on a theory that not everybody else has bought into yet. So it's it's nice to see him break it down by himself. Yeah, I, I love yeah. I love how in this scene um, when he points to the Dallas and it zooms in, right? Isn't that this? Isn't that, yeah, yeah, off by itself. Yeah. Yeah, it's really great. Again, we're in, we're close to him. We're not maybe in his head, but we're close to him, and we are, we're we're on the ride with him. You see, here we are. He's got full respect for Ryan now. Yeah. He's willing to talk to him. He's willing to tell I mean, him. For some. a movie that's this big and this complicated to build these little arcs into the structure, I'm good job. You know, it's really. Mm-hmm. It's really amazing. Even the overall structure of this thing, I don't know where the acts start. It has these big movements that carry us along, but we're kind of confused. Not confused, but we're we're kind of sitting back and letting them tell us the story all through this thing. There's a lot of times where we're not completely sure where this is leading. We just have to be able to understand in the moment what's going on. It's a great screenplay. Yeah. You know, John, for me, the moment where I feel like it pushes is the crash of the of the jet coming in onto the which is a film flow. It's an F eighteen Hornet that crashes, and they said it was an F fourteen Tomcat that was damaged. So that's a wee film flow. But we don't always have that handy footage of an F fourteen. I just I just kind of feel like this is a little ginned up. You know, like I know it's a bad day, but it's a really mm-hmm. bad day. This reminds me of like of it's almost close to like something I'd see in an airplane or something. Oh. It, it, it it almost feels like they had this moment here. Like, hey, we've got this shot, you know, we gotta keep this in the movie. Yeah, you've got like, the Enterprise, that, right? You have access yep. to an aircraft carrier. They're on C V N sixty five, so you're gonna wanna have something to do with an airplane. I totally get yeah. it. Well, and then you get this look at the helicopter. You gotta have that too. I thought he was gonna steal it, but no. <laughs> there he is. He's in his poopy suit, and there's a Tomcat behind him. Still the prettiest mm-hmm. plane to ever fly off an aircraft carrier, ever. Mm-hmm. There it goes. There's one next to the highway in Waikini, Kansas, and it's just sitting there on your way to Colorado. And I get out of my car when I go to Colorado for reprovisioning, and uh, and and just hang out next to the Tomcat, and it's so pretty. So this talk to yourself, Jack, uh, which he does again when he's crawling later on, uh, it's very diehard, isn't it? It's very diehard, yeah. Now he knows what a TV dinner delivered by helicopter feels like, obviously. Although I don't know why the helicopter has an enormous United States flag on the side of it. That's that's not really normal, but whatever. That's fine. And here's. And I like that. That dissolve, I like. Because it gives me this, it gives me this feeling of how far he has to go. I don't. Yeah, well, it about follows that an unresolved big, zoom too, so that yeah. also makes this does that exact thing, John. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
Rub your nose so we know how tired you are. That's right. Cough if you have cancer. <laughs> it's pretty much the Hollywood, yeah, the Hollywood indicator, the shorthand. <laughs> see, Mambo Ma thinks it's funny. He is easily amused. What a scream. Yuck, yuck, yuck. I love, I don't know. I love the idea of like the screenwriter being in the film. It's just, it's so funny because like he's commenting on his his film. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's like, oh, this is ridiculous. It's like, <laughs> you wrote it. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Was... There's just something really lovely about his performance as the cob in this. You know, it's like the dad of the ship is basically right. the chief of the boat, and he plays it like that. It's just, it's great. Yeah, he's even telling dad. Jim. And the great, yeah. fly, <laughs> and the great fly over the rock to reveal the submarine. That the his his vindication that his navigation was perfect. His his gamble was perfect. It's terrific. And here, this is. I'm trying to remember. This is kind of a state of the union moment in the movie, right? We start. Am I remembering this right? We kind of go from Ramius is vo- Ramius is kind of voicing over everyone else's situation. Is, or is this here? Or is this later? They um, they start cutting just wait back and, see and what forth. Happens. The, the, this is yeah. And it's kind of like we're at the midpoint of the movie where it's time to kind of reset. Where is everybody at? Uh, Jonesy's still looking and he's tired. Ramius is taking a little rest and. Talking over their situation. Yeah, the only know, thing a good, that's moving a forward midpoint. is Jack Ryan on the helicopter, and and we're not cutting mm-hmm. back to him right now. And so, this is one of those moments in the film where they're going to counter punch these scenes, and it's very much the hand of the storyteller. I mean, that little shot of Courtney B. Vance that's like just barely mm-hmm. there, long enough to recognize it's there, and then it's gone, is a really interesting way where I think the editors are just trying to keep the keep the energy going in these pretty passive scenes right now. Well, it always makes me feel like, of course, this is the great scene. This is the scene that set up my sister. <laughs> when when we oh, saw this so movie, this yeah. scene killed, made her just absolutely break down into tears by the end of the movie. But you get that shot to Jonesy there. It's almost like he's listening to them, right? I think that there's a suggestion of that uh-huh. in a weird way. And and we are we're getting this state of the union with these guys. We're getting now we're getting desire, right? Like okay, what is that that he expects to get out of this gambit? And we're kind of seeing the state status quo with the ship, uh, the crew, and I don't know. There's something about this it. a really lovely midpoint sequence. And Ryan hasn't joined this movie yet. He's on his way to this movie. It's kind of how you can think of it. The last time we saw him, yeah, he's en route, and we dissolved to this sequence. And it's like, okay, Ryan will be joining our movie shortly, but first we're going to kind of reacquaint you with what's everybody going on, with on both everyone. of the on both of the boats. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's so funny. Like you said that, John. It's uh, my four year old daughter. We were watching something that had a very very sad moment in mm-hmm. it, and she was like, "Why is this? Why is this part so sad?" And so I give her the screenwriters. <laughs> explanation that it's got to be sad so that it pays off and it's happy in the end right but it's the same thing because I don't know that we would have cared about that character's death in the end um this is pre-Jurassic Park you know so he wasn't you know the big Hollywood star that that Sean Connery is and so we need something to make that moment really uh really really tragic because he's you know like you said Ramius doesn't 
have a whole he he doesn't have the idealism for americana the way this this character is thinking about i'm going to have several wives and we're going to have you know uh sh- i'm i'm going to eat eat the animals that you know like the it's, rabbits. It's, the yeah rabbits. the yeah. rabbits and and i and i can go anywhere without papers and all of that like you see him really like glistening and i love there is so much in this movie that happens in the the sort of uh glittering eyes of the men as well that i think again is very uh, tender and it, mm-hmm. there's there's not that that harshness of masculine men doing masculine things there's just that there's almost this like um like like misty quality to to them when they're talking to each other and and you know uh, Ramius is laying down he's reclining it's a relaxed moment between men and I, I get I, I totally get why your sister gets upset because yeah. I, I do too absolutely it sets me up for for like some big big tears in the yeah. end yeah do you guys think that this it's pretty aggressively intercut and mm-hmm. I wonder how much of this was discovered by the editor in the editing process versus how it was written. Because it's, yeah. even though it's, you know, every scene is slow and soft and, you know, the editing is really aggressive in terms of how we're bouncing from one thing to the next. Yeah, there's part of you as an editor that might want to let Connery and and, and Ramey, uh, it's not... Ramey Sam Neil Borden. Neil. I almost thought he was Sam Raimi for a second. Um, you want them to have these little monologues, but at the same time, you discover that sometimes they're kind of talking about the people. <laughs> you know, some of the lines, when you cut to the crew member, you kind of feel like they're talking about them too, you know, and yeah. it kind of it, it creates just a different dynamic. So I can see how you might want it to be a monologue, but at the same time, the, the edit, the montage is more impactful. And you can tell Beaumont, Seaman Beaumont's starting to get the adrenaline. Had you can tell he's starting to get real excited by the, about this process. He's going to... Survived his first crazy Ivan. Yep. And he's feeling it. Almost Michael Imperioli, handsome my... Um... <laughs> you and your almost. <laughs> you really look... For one second, well, though, we that looks like Michael We have a very near-cut-rate Robert Picardo in this scene. Come on! <laughs> hey. Yeah, give up your pursuit and, this... and go pick up a geek. Yeah. Navy cooperation. Here's a Sea King helicopter. Here's guys on harnesses and a winch. And here's a Los Angeles class submarine. Man. And here's some and... CGI rain. <laughs> and this is just complete insanity to me. There's nothing about what happens in this scene that I would ever do. And nothing. I would not get in a helicopter probably and go to sea. I would definitely not dangle out of it so I can get into a submarine. That's just complete. This is completely insane to me. It's nerve wracking scene. I would dangle out of a helicopter to go to a good laser tag facility. I have not played laser tag in some time and I would probably take that risk because it would be really fun. As long as it's a spacious facility, I would be Especially if I had Colonel Mitch Bryan on my team, the hitman. <laughs> Look at that. That's just so great. All these, I mean, to actually see this real hardware where it's supposed to be, you know, it's, it's really neat. There's, there's a, like, like with the final countdown, you know, there's a, a, a verisimilitude when you're on a real aircraft carrier shooting airplanes off of catapults and recovering them with, with, with arrestor wires and all this stuff. And it's, you can't, 
You can't do that with CGI. You cannot do that with CGI. Nope, here's your here's your nerd hook to grab him with. (laughs) (laughs) Grab me a nerd. (laughs) My my mind is inhaler, but just get him on the ship. (laughs) Wow, look at that. That is a Flight One Los Angeles that had the uh, the bow, the uh, diving planes still on the sail, and after that they moved them to the bow so they could put tomahawks on the ship, but they could rotate vertically so it could surface through ice. There's some CGI lightning. I don't. Really so that's talk. a is that a real submarine? That's a real Los Angeles yeah, class boat. That's yeah. not the mock-up, right? No, no, because right there that that bump on top of it that's the um, uh, Totoray sonar. That's I mean all of this stuff is very real. That is not a mock-up and, of Alec Baldwin. And Alec Baldwin, that is not, not Stephen now, Baldwin. But, but later, Alec Baldwin really does do the drop. Yeah. Into the into the. They drink. thought about bringing in Stephen or Billy Baldwin, a less vital Baldwin, to actually do the drop. <laughs> but in fact, there was just they had to stick with Alec. God, to, I wish they would have done Stephen. We all wish. Now I just have to <laughs> see him on TV frantically searching for the most palatable canned dog food to get before winter. He's just awful. But we miss him. We mourn him. We we certainly acknowledge his marriage too. I think he was was he married? No, it was Billy Baldwin married to China Phillips? That's right. I hate that I know that. <laughs> I hate that I don't know a, a more math or a, a practical martial arts move. I hate that that's taking up room. There he goes. Um, Down ladder, make a hole. I love it. <laughs> we caught us a big fish. We caught us a Hollywood star. This is definitely a trailer moment. I don't remember the trailer, but I. So does that mean the divers brought him in through some? Like, how'd they get him on? No, you no. They you've got to get him. There's a, a a hatch in the bottom of the sail near the hull that you could get to, but there's you can't actually. There are no holes in the hull, so, right, so except to load torpedoes. To... Yeah. So is that a little creative license? Truth would probably he probably wouldn't be brought in at that end of the the, the captain wouldn't come down to find him on the floor like that or not. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's it's yeah. Maybe it's some fun geography. It's exciting to show guys, you know, running up and down, you know, ladders and through hatches yeah. on a submarine and showing off a little bit of the real estate. And Ramsey wasn't even on the Dallas in the book. He he did all of his stuff on a British aircraft carrier. Yeah, the HMS Invincible or something, mm-hmm. I think, which was much yep. smaller than the Enterprise. Yeah. And it wouldn't. I I like that they did the. I mean, it's it's good. It gives him some you know great great moments with the captain 
Um, and uh, it, uh, yeah, it just, I, I don't know, it works like cinematically too, because of the excitement of bringing him in. Um, and the, yeah, the fact that he's <laughs> dripping wet on the. And the instant the conflict, floor. right? Because Mancuso had right? him. And suddenly you are, a, you are an interloper and a dweeb. And I was on the hunt with my uh, uh, submarine, and look what you did. So yep. there's instant tension, which is terrific. Of course, Jack refusing cigarettes twice in the movie is set up for something that's going to happen later. Again, we don't even know mm -hmm. that. We just think it's character stuff. Originally, he was supposed to do a bump with the engineer on the Red October, I understand. <laughs> and uh, kind of... <laughs> To kind of, you know, wake up after after the DSRV and all that, and he was supposed to be just a coked up mess. That's why he's all sweaty in the missile area, but I guess they, they cut that out and left him in there all sweaty still. So. I wondered why he was so sweaty. Oh yeah, yeah. He was he in the I think it was off they did bumps off of a urinal in the in the in the head, but yeah, it was and they cut it out. They were like, Yeah, we're gonna go for PG. So that's gonna pour off of him like Some, just like, like an airplane. Uh, yeah, he there is a whiff of Ted Stryker in in yeah. in his sweat production. It's like five pounds lost. Yeah, and it, I love this the look like it was kind of did I do all this for nothing, right? Did am I did I do endure all of this? Yeah. So uh, you know here here we are with this character whom we've really liked with this captain, and now. He's an obstacle mm -hmm. because he's starting to believe the Russian story and the American story that they got a that you know that this guy's a threat. So I just think it's really interesting how this movie manages to continually take a win and turn it into a loss mm. for the main character. Mm -hmm. He's always struggling against somebody. Again, I think that's why Alec Baldwin so. I don't, I, it's just so perfect for this. He's just not, I don't know, he doesn't have the machismo of Harrison Ford that I just feel like Harrison Ford do, doesn't quite play that, that, um, th those obstacles quite right. Like, like Alec Baldwin, he's, he's yeah. just sort of always kind of battling with, uh, like, I, I think he also has like some imposter syndrome. Like he's just, he, he's, he's complex. Like it, he feels like, you know, being pushed around here right like get out of my way you know he's he's just a complete literal like fish out of water that's he's what very I think much is like funny. bruce willis in the first die hard yeah you know, he's the movie is bigger than him the world is bigger than him and he's he's trying to find his footing in it and that of course doesn't happen in any other die hard movie and kind of doesn't really happen in any other jack ryan movie no, it's it is it's really hard to imagine Harrison Ford getting pushed around on this mm -hmm. bridge of this submarine. Um, it, yeah, it, it, and you know, I, I I understood that Harrison Ford actually was offered this role initially, originally, yep. and I think maybe he knew, like from the script, he wasn't going to be the focus, and this character wasn't him. And now, Patriot Games is a whole other ball game. Mm -hmm. It's a completely different kind of Jack Ryan, a completely different kind of film. So. It opened it up to his kind of character. Now, I think Harrison Ford can play schlubby a little bit. He does a great job of it in Working Girl, for instance. Oh, yeah. But it is it is a little bit more comedic than it is natural, if you know what I mean. 
And if I you mean, tried to put him in this movie and have him do these things, it might be a little silly. He does. I, I don't know. He just strikes me as being like very aware of the fact that like he's wearing this this uniform that he doesn't deserve, that he has not mm-hmm. earned, mm-hmm. and he just I, he's like I don't know. Just sort of the self awareness is crippling in Alec Baldwin's performance that I just I love. Again, it just makes for a much more interesting Jack Ryan. He's not a buckaroo. <laughs> he's the opposite of a buckaroo. Alec Baldwin's in Working Girl too, right? Yeah, he's yeah, the he jerk is. boyfriend. Right. Yeah, two Jack Ryan's in one movie. <gasps> wow, Jack, that, help yeah. me out here. Yeah. So this is this is great. The the tension here is how is he actually going to? I mean, the captain is flooding tubes. He's getting locked on weapons. Everything. I mean, he has two minutes, and it's great. It's so great pleading for his case. Well, there's this thing that that we get with Mancuso. He has this little arc just within this sequence here with Ryan from the point he meets Ryan to this point where he makes this choice you could read him in the scene in the corridor earlier is this is going to be your duty bound uh commanding officer that's not going to ever go against orders like what what does he care about a guy defecting like when he asked that question defect you know after he says so it's like does he give a shit whether Ramus is defecting what does he care and yet we get Okay, he's a human being, actually, and he he does have a moral center, and he does have reason to him, and he does care, <laughs> maybe more so than a real ca- captain of a submarine would, but he does care. He's a real human, and it gives his uh, character even more depth. We already liked him as a commander, but now we're starting to like him as a guy a little bit more, I think, and that he makes this choice. So do you believe this, that he's actually asking for somebody to come to the deck to come to the to the bridge with a sidearm because he's so worried that Jack Ryan I is going to cause trouble. I think it's exactly it's exactly me telling my son that I'm going to give him a spanking when I've never spanked him in his entire life and never going to. <laughs> well, I love that he I still say it every once in a while. <laughs> I love that armed assistance is a finger snap away, right? Like he's some yeah. mafia underboss asking for well, the, the funniest thing is how Cobb looks at him like, huh? Right. <laughs> like, everybody else seems very serious. Then Cobb turns like, what, what? What's that snap? I'll go get a sidearm. <laughs> I'll be back in 10. Shoot, do I got to get the sidearm now? You want to load it? Right. My husband listens to this podcast um, that uh, about, like, submarine captains and exos. And they were telling the story about one guy um, who kind of just lost it. Um, and he started talking about opening the hatch, like, he, like he, you know, they're, you know, however many leagues under the sea, and he's and he's fixated on it, right? He's like, I'm going to open that hatch. I need some fresh. And so he, he's he, he becomes a problem for the entire boat. The way that they dealt with him is that they sedated him until they were back in port. Wow, isn't that wow. crazy? He was like losing his mind. They sedated him, just kept him like. Uh, tranquilized the whole time until they got back to port. It's the same with what happens if if somebody dies on the boat. They have to put you in the freezer because mm-hmm. they can't just they can't just die. I mean, they have to finish. You know their their um, you know what what their mission is. You know, and they they can't just stop off and deal with a dead body. So they can't just stop off and deal with this crazy guy either. So yeah, uh, do, do they have do is... they have full size simulators for training? Um, for training submariners or, or yeah is it just... yeah they have they have um, mock-ups of control rooms and yeah they have the famous escape tower at, at new london and i think there's one in um there was one in pearl harbor but yeah they uh 
yeah, you, you, you have to be able to do everything, especially with damage control. Obviously, fire being the, the thing that terrifies them the most in addition to a nuclear accident. But yeah. it's interesting because I know that when an officer dies at sea, the crew ritually devours the body to, uh, <laughs> uh, to honor that officer. Um, and that then, might have been what, well, what Sean Connery was so humbly <laughs> yeah, attacking. Well, was, was that, say, was that Putin? sample of Putin? <laughs> is it? Is it I thought maybe Putin was in the freezer with the pork cutlets, but maybe he was the pork cutlets. He will be honored as delicious. Long, long pork, long pig. Long pig. Nice. Very different take on the movie. <laughs> yeah, very del- do, how do they, delicious and how do orthodox they, meal. Sorry, maybe there was a detail in there that I missed, but how do they test submariners for claustrophobia? Like, how do you know that a guy's going to be able to make it through that long haul underwater? Well, I, I think that they probably undergo i mean everybody is still a volunteer but i think you have to undergo a battery of all sorts of tests and that's probably among them they don't stick they, you, they in put you in a room like potty and roll they... you down a hill and if you come out <laughs> you know undamaged look at that that's that's a beautiful shot when they surface together yeah. that's beautiful so these men the the enlisted men jason correct me if i'm wrong they they go through two years of training before they actually board a boat is that is that correct i mean they they don't come right out of high school and and jump onto a submarine yeah, yeah especially nuclear engineering it's which is yeah. i think the highest like the the uh, the highest rate in the navy in terms of 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 technical positions are like satellite communications and and nuclear engineering um and I know you don't get your dolphins until you have qualified the dolphins on your chest. As a qualified submariner, you can you have to study for those while you're at sea, um, and you, you're not just handed that and then put on board a submarine. Um, I don't know how long they train. I know that um, it's it's going to be different for like a fire control technician versus a torpedo uh, torpedo man versus a an engineer oh, or whatever. Sure. But um, that makes sense. But um, I know that everybody has to do the escape tower which is i think up from like 140 feet with um with rescue gear um and they all have to they get trained in how to use the thermal imagers for firefighting um so you can see through the smoke um it's 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 actually and how to use their the boat has uh connections for breathing gear so when you have a mask on you you just move from compartment to compartment and and plug in to different um different connectors it's it's actually pretty cool but it's very different on Soviet boats or Russian now because it, they're draftees and they rely on officers to do a lot more technical stuff than enlisted men because enlisted guys are going to come in, they're going to train, they're going to leave. Uh, so it's it's the officers who carry much more um, knowledge than than say an American petty officer would um, on on, a, on an equivalent U.S. boat. That's why all the Russian draftees sort of all the crewmen look like kind of you know plucked chickens with their their buzz cuts and very smooth faces whereas the american crew look a little bit older and a little bit more seasoned they're volunteers who knew what they were doing and they sign up for four-year eight-year hitches whereas the russian crew is is on board for a year or you know a th- two years i think was what the draft term was and then they're gone that's some really great detailed casting. It kind of makes me think of that moment in Das Boot when they're taking photos on the on the the decking. Take take them says, when they come back. Yeah. Take them when they come back when they've got their beards and they they look like they've been through something. Yeah. So so guys, I got to ask you about this Morse code. Mm. It, is it a little fast? Like are these guys? It's always fast in movies, though. They that's always. That's what I thought, right? Yeah. 
you'll say a whole word and to transmit a word in morse takes time it's letter by letter but so you'll hear them and they're reading it's like take ship to this cove at it's like no that's like you just got through one you just got through the word you know, take one word that right yeah, yeah that's what i thought yeah, yeah but who time. the hell wants to sit through right no, I, I understand right. that yeah. i just i just wanted to yeah. just point that out i love that, i did want like, to say oh sorry mm, go ahead john well just to get I, we had some good connery stuff here and we've kind of set up his performance and what we think he might ramius might be thinking feeling earlier in the film that I really love that first moment when he gets the Morse code, like that very first where he says, you know, acknowledge with one ping. And you can see, Aaron, all those things you were talking about, his guilt and his nervousness about this mission and his responsibilities to everyone, that relief wash over him. He says, please. Like, wait a minute, I think he? I just got bailed out. He sort of smiles out. and says, please, which we haven't yeah. seen him do the entire movie. Because he just feels bailed out. He's just like, oh my God, this is not a thing that I guessed at all. Like, I thought this was going to be a lot harder. Now it's still going to be hard for him. Yeah, but he, he, but right he, now it feels like I might ha- really have an out here I didn't even predict. He avoided the buckaroo, right? Which yep. is what he talked about, yes, his exactly. great fear. He got, he got the right guy. Now, I think it's a little much when he does the slam, the handles of the... <laughs> he really accentuates it maybe a little bit more. I loved the subtle part, and then maybe it went a little too far, but it's fine. Look at that, a rough fine. night at 54 for the engineer. As he oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, that was a Valium. He took his Valium... Uh, after the long night there that was a volume look and it got to come down off that stuff somehow are we supposed to think he might be trouble though i, I think i think that 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 yeah don't you it's he's ominous yeah, yeah. enough the cigarette of course is a shorthand for tough guys slash potentially ominous and then we have an engineering casualty immediately right after so i think a little bit of suspicion could be laid there sure i mean but as soon as you realize what's happening you realize that look is okay time for plan b is actually what that is it's okay time to do the accident but i think that they did yeah they used that moment to say hey for everyone who forgot about the cook maybe this is the saboteur just for a second you know that's all you need sometimes but really, once you realize what's happening here, you realize that was just him saying, okay, it's, you know, let's go to plan B and have this accident, so-called. Because he's in on it, right? The, yeah. The All the officers are. Yeah, the chief engineer yeah. is definitely in on it. Yeah. Everybody but Petrov. <laughs> Poor Petrov. <laughs> Ask Dr. Helpless. Petrov's the, Char- the Charlie Brown of the Russian Navy. <laughs> Dr. Petrov, you blockhead. Give me back that key. But there's this great moment coming up, and I mentioned it with the music cue. It's a little bit of this like comedic music cue that comes up here. Um, but it's funny because it's Ramius allowing him to think he's smart for the first time in the whole movie. He's like, you know, you are right. We have to, but of course, he's just doing exactly what Ramius wanted him to do. Let's get everybody off the ship. Oh, yeah. He's just got to act. He's got to act like he doesn't want that. No, we mustn't. And he's, Captain! Yes. <laughs> I'm afraid the doctor's right. So then he plays, Vasily plays into it, and then Ramius has to act like he's, hmm, I'm changing my mind. And there's this music going on right now that's a little, little Mickey Mousey, but. but really, up again. You gotta take your moments where you can really entertain in this film. You you gotta take them, right? Because I think that's what's so wonderful about how it's calibrated. What are the really entertaining moments? There are not. They're exciting moments, but the victories and the and the laughs are 
few and far between. Yeah. They happen. They happen exactly when we need them. Oh, that guy had stalactites for teeth. Did you? Okay. <laughs> was it just? Was it just me? Okay. Good. Wow. Russian dentistry. Okay. All right. This is great. All misty and North Atlanticy. Oh, it's great. This is what I watch these movies for. Is this? And this all of this atmosphere. had to be shot inside the breakwaters because they wouldn't let them take this thing out. So right, yeah, it's not so exactly have open sea off, certified. So we got off-camera fans right. and hoses and creating all this. I was going to point out earlier, and maybe I I don't know everything about uh, seagulls, but earlier when we first see the um, uh, periscopes, there's a seagull flying over. Wouldn't that not be so far out to sea? <laughs> I just. I, Am I wrong about that? Don't seagulls only go f- so far out to sea if they're going to die? I, I um, don't maybe know. Maybe I'm wrong uh, about that. But you, you see this big seagull and you go, well, this is clearly shot off the coast. Not not a way out to sea, like they said. But nowadays you just CGI that thing out. But And that is an Oliver Hazard Clary... Uh, Oliver Hazard Perry class forget the Reuben James which is actually the heroes one of the hero ships in uh, Red Storm Rising which was the follow-up novel to the hunt for October the Reuben James was uh, a convoy escort and so it's kind of I I don't we had 50 of those frigates so it's probably maybe an accident that the Reuben James is the same one that's in the movie. and who's commanding the Reuben James in this movie uh oh Oh, Peter Jason is the Peter skipper Jason. of the Ruben James. Yeah, yeah, he 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 who plays his hand like a trumpet better than anybody I know. Uh, yeah. I forgot he was in it. I just started laughing when I saw him. <laughs> yeah, Peter Jason is. Yeah, a movie can have gratuitous Peter Jason in it, and I'll still love it. It's great. Peter Jason and Shane Rimmer, get him where you can. Oh my God, yep. give me go. give me that Thunderbird. Yeah, and I liked it that Curry there he is. There he is. The stentorian <laughs> face of Peter Jason. I like that Dr. Petrov gets his little moment to shine, right? Like he's kind of this this doctor of action and 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 how Connery defers to him like uh, is it okay if, if we just each officer does 20 minutes below he's like that'll be satisfactory captain and so now he's getting deferred to so he gets his little moment of of not just being mm-hmm. a, a punk and a and a butt of a joke. He's going to be in his own series of books. The the Dr. Captain, Petrov Chronicles. Dr. Petrov Adventures. <laughs> the Petrov Chronicles. And yeah. in this one, he fights diarrhea at sea. Oh, that's great. That's great. And in this one, it's malaria. Yeah, that's it. Medical emergency. And there's a real Seahawk with a real Mark 46 torpedo. Wow. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Uh-oh. Dr. Petrov doesn't like the look of that. <laughs> And this is a nice reveal of Greer too. It's yeah, nice. really just, nice. Just the hand with the with the ring, the Academy ring, and yeah, it's great. Now, how long is it? How long has it been since we've thought about our um, our other Russian submarine? When was the last time we saw the Kanavalov? Stellan Stellan Skarsgård. Because that's movie, what's right? all. Well, it wasn't so far at the beginning. I mean, it was second act probably, but it was very early in the second act where we're kind of establishing the stakes. But we haven't seen him or mentioned him in a long time other than mentioning that the that continuously mentioning that the russian fleet is after them so it's funny because you get to this part and it does i remember feeling legitimately like the movie might be over here going oh huh they've kind of figured this out i didn't know what was going to happen next but boy i forgot entirely about the russian ship when i was you know 14 and seeing this movie for the first time but 
Um, I've never broken it down, but I wonder if it's like kind of like how many movements, probably five big movements in the structure of it. Do we really right. think also that an admiral would need to flash his CIA ID to impress a guy at the weapons console? He's like, I was never yeah. here. Okay, sir. No, I just also want you to know that it's super serious. I'm also in the CIA. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. The fact right. that he's on the bridge of the ship giving orders is <laughs> probably a The guy's giveaway. dripping with gold braid, and he has like five rows of decorations. <laughs> also, look at my wallet. That's an Arby's gift card. Oh, you are serious. Oh, I, I've always loved how normie uh, Ryan looks here with a cup of coffee. <laughs> Too. It's something about something about that. Like, give him a cup of coffee, have him cross his legs. He looks like such a normie here. <laughs> right, all these Navy guys. I love it. That's right. The Mystic. That's the name. The the, the and Avalon then, and the Mystic, or the DSR, which we haven't but, thought about since the very right. beginning of and, the movie. But here it is. And yet, we're like, oh yeah, this is so oh, yeah, cool. What an amazing way to get yeah. through this. We get this nice little model, uh, too. They had these so they could uh, fly them on C-5s. They fit on C-5s, and they could fly them anywhere in the world within 48 hours. Um, so we could, in theory, get try and rescue our sub, any sub that goes down, uh, within 48 hours. Uh, we offered wow. it. Yeah. But, uh, it's a real just, thing, huh? It's yeah. not just made up for the movie. DSRV, okay. Deep Submergence Rescue Vehicle. Um, they are now out of service. We have something else that has replaced them, the Mystic and the, uh, and the Avalon. I don't know where they are now, but probably in museums. Like New London. That's great. Here we get our Star Trek the Motion Picture moment. Or Event Horizon moment. Either one. Oh, or Event Horizon too. Yeah, it's pretty neat though. <laughs> and it's great that 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 it we're now reminded that even Navy guys are impressed by the Red October, right? That it's mm -hmm. a hell of a lot bigger than in Ohio or any of our subs. And what a big deal it is for them, right? This is a, a huge piece of Cold War oh, hardware, yeah. and here they are. There's only one picture of one of these things, right, and they're getting to right. they're getting to dock with one. Nice moment here. Here's your gun. Yeah, so with this Mystic, what are they using to be able to find their spot where they're going to stop and everything? Is it all radar? All, no, have, all the, all the um, uh, hatches on, on submarines are painted very bright with, with big white lines or indicators to let you know how to find them. Um, so they're doing it all visually. They fly up along. Do they have the cameras? I, I can't yeah, tell. Yeah, they have cameras, and yeah. I think that when he said that's a big sucker they were looking at either cameras or viewports i don't know which but right. um yeah you literally see it can you hand me that hammer i know it's, yeah, I know it's good beneath your rank so there's a airtight seal that manages to lock on top of the submarine like that huh? uh-huh yeah the docking collar that they talked about this universal docking yeah, it's collar just, it's amazing i love the banality of all this like, they really take this time to knock on the door. I think that's really great. And then we go back to Russian. We're back to the the foreignness of the Russians for just a moment. From the American point of view, of course, they don't speak English. Yeah, the caution that everybody has and the whole surreal nature of being on, you know, Americans and on high ship. And how did the Red October know that the submarine was going to dock? Did that, is that, was that information that was passed that we the, didn't hear when they were, when they were more scouting? Yeah, that, 
the note that he wrote. Right. Yeah. When he says you got to be yeah. kidding or whatever it was he said. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just making sure. Yeah, I don't even know. Does Man did Mancuso even know about the DSRV thing? I don't know. Like, maybe that was new information for him. This is a great show. <laughs> Everybody frozen in place. The tableau. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about it. The, He's so paranoid. The, the engineer's the so paranoid. The pressure on the right scene now. when Whoa. we know who everybody is, right? So we're mm-hmm. so far ahead of everybody at this moment that you got to come up with a way to make it interesting. Yeah, and a reminder we, that we in know they're all on the same side. Yeah, but in 1984, they're the worst of enemies and yeah it's, it's uh, uh. yeah he was so close to just touching the side of his nose right there <laughs> just any <laughs> got, got a line from me is that some premium chechen <laughs> stuff <laughs> you guys are in, you're still in afghanistan job, don't tell me you don't have heroin on this boat that's that's some good i don't smoke but i'm smoking a cigarette acting actually. yeah he does a good job. I'm sure Alec Baldwin's had a few cigarettes. And they're Russian cigarettes, right? So it's basically, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's oh, tobacco yeah. rolled in Izvestia, basically. <laughs> Tar scraped off of a parking lot and smoked up. Oh, man. I love the uh, the khaki of the American Navy. I w- I, uh, when they went to those ugly, like... Uh, blue, the, the blue yes. camo kind of stuff. You yeah, mean? the camo. Yeah. Like, yeah. you don't. That's the last thing you want is to blend <laughs> into the ocean. Like, <laughs> you should not be camouflaging men who might be in an ocean at some point. Right, they call it the invisible survivor line. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, but the khaki. I don't know. For me, that is such classic uh, American. Navy. I just, oh, I love that look. Yeah, now everybody has that awful blue camouflage on surface yes. ships, too. And I get that it's coveralls and, and more comfortable and more practical, but sure. yeah. And now here here we find out that it was was all planned. Yeah, the torpedo was a bit of a improv. so many guesses you know the 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 ivan and the the guess and the, the crazy ivan gimmick is great i had a 50 50 chance yeah yeah right and here here he's making a, a a guess as well and it just seemed like the right one and then in the book do they do they team up kind of like in this movie where they sort of team up together to fight against uh captain tupelov coming after them i think they do right yeah. because the only gimmick the, the in the book they they sink an old u.s ballistic missile sub an old ethan allen class submarine to to in the place of red october um and that's it i think that's and they they obviously compact a lot here in this scene but yeah i think ryan i don't know if he necessarily takes this ship's helm but yeah man and there it is it's just a very movie in. thing though like you know it would it feels like something in a movie 
And so that's why I wondered whether it was in a book. It's like, oh, yeah, of course. You get them together. We got to watch them together now. You've got to work that dynamic. Get that thing off my boat. Hey. (laughs) That guy's guy's perfect. Hey. Hey. (laughs) Oh. Uh, I do like that we got we actually got uh, Beaumont's arc closed earlier. We get where he actually he calls the sonar out to the con. It's like well, even he gets a little arc that gets closed because Jonesy's not on the boat anymore. And now you've got to run this thirty thousand ton ship with like nine dudes. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> like, seriously, there's a reason oh, why yeah. there are that many people on on the, the submarine. Like, you need a lot of people to run this thing. And yeah, it's like, okay, sit down, <laughs> Ryan. Let me show you how to do this. No, you don't need there. anybody but the bridge crew to fly the Enterprise. Right? To, per, to put it in terms yeah, was, that John would love, Star Trek Three, where Scotty automates yes, the I ship. Was all, uh-huh. I was keeping myself from saying anything about that. Appreciate it. And then, it, of course, it all collapses <laughs> under battle with Captain Klug. Krug, Blug, Krug, 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 with Doc Brown, with Doc Brown, <laughs> Klingon Doc Brown, Klingon Doc Brown, yeah. And this is great, Captain See, Captainly Knowledge versus Captainly Knowledge. This is great. I always do kind of want me and Cuso to figure this out a little sooner, though. I was like, ah, wouldn't he kind of understand what was? And I love Connery, trying to just, do just three, one, five. That's all you need with mm-hmm. Connery, right? It's just, just do it. <laughs> that well, look is like, am I going to not do it right? It's kind of an interesting moment, though, to have our American hero Caught take the between, advice of the Russian. Oh, yeah. It's great. Yeah. The tension is, I mean, whew, who do you follow? Sean Connery, of course, but. But everybody's baffled. And again, it's Connery. You know, it's his trick. He knows it. He knows Tupolev. He knows his weapon on the, that his nation uses. So he's one up on the Americans who are all who now yeah. all think he's insane. And we did get the overt setup for this on the Tupolev, where where the CO, the number two, said exactly what was going to happen. Like it, what did he say? It, he said it he, passed he says that before it could arm itself. Before it could arm itself. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, now we know 100% sure how that works. We don't want to mess around. Mr. Thompson, Mr. Mr. Bootlicker rule follower. God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> could end it real quick and nobody would have to play chicken Cobb, Cobb would be shooting torpedoes like <laughs> crazy give me my scuba gear and my six shooter no Cobb we can't <laughs> we can't we can't risk you you're too valuable also you don't fit in the scuba gear anymore this is great Ring the conversation so pausing cool. to talk to him it's great because the torpedo takes time you know he's he's made his moves it'll take time to implement everything and I can talk sh- <laughs> look at the contempt he, he hates Halsey. <laughs> I didn't. Everyone's a critic, says Jack Ryan, and he's like, I didn't. And then Hughes is like, I didn't even read it. Yeah. Well, didn't didn't Halsey get tricked? Isn't yeah. Is that what they're talking yeah, about? The, the so why is Ryan? Golf, yeah. Was Ryan trying to be an apology, a Halsey apologist? Is that what that book is about? Could be. Could be. Certainly something that old Marco Ramius disagrees with, and now everybody gets it. we win (laughs) (laughs) that's it right here's your check
You know, it could have been so corny at so many moments in this movie. And there is something about McTiernan, early McTiernan, where he's just got the instincts to keep it from becoming cheesy. Because, I don't know, guys. Tony Scott was directing this. Mm -hmm. We might be in trouble. Oh, no. And I'm telling you guys, my sister, like, weeps, weeps next to me in the theater. I'm putting sister in quotes on this one, Angle. It was you what teared up. Well, I was, I was tear. I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say I tear up a lot in movies. But my sister, the, I told the story before. My sister was going to go see Driving Miss Daisy because she'd be damned to go see some t- submarine movie. But it started about 15, 20 minutes later than this, so she came into the theater with us and never left. And then saw it with us. We saw it like four, four times in a month or something <laughs> as a family. Just keep and, driving. Uh, home. She kept going. She loved it. Mm-hmm. But it's a very efficient death. I would have liked to have mm-hmm. seen Montana. Okay, back oh. to what we were doing. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, right. punches you right. right in the gut, though. Like that, take everything that he hoped for and desired in life. It's the closest <laughs> we get to one the cheesiest up. moment you can get in this movie, and they they and it's abandoned immediately. Right, that's what's great. To move yep. through it. Yep. Yeah, he's off to the freezer with him. Let's get back to business. And we got the green ship or the green boat so we can keep him straight, right? And he's playing the new, oh, I forget the first name, Harkonnen in the new Dune movie, right? Yes. Vladimir. Vladimir. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah, an incredible career still in Skarsgård because 30 years, I guess, this was his first big Hollywood movie. He's got such a great look to him it's like this sort of severity that's great in that green light like mm-hmm. the, the sort of chiseled definition of his uh, he just looks like the bad Russian you know mm-hmm. if, if you just like Mitch said if you great movies you turn off the the sound and you can tell visually what's happening without any indication of the the dialogue or anything like that and so f- he just has that great like physicality of a villain and light him from below right mm-hmm. and, and give him that demonic face and then smoke up the room because everybody and he's chain smoking yeah it's pretty easy to know who the bad guy is but it's great another big laugh <laughs> yeah another big laugh remember that one lots of tension Ramius has just been shot Everybody's nervous. Get a little laugh. Big fat red October just can't get behind it. Yeah, and they the Soviet designers um, studied whales and and how they move through the water when they when they built the alphas. So the the ships were actually called the Golden Whale in the Russian fleet because it was such a prestigious thing to be given the keys to one. And they were so small that they had crews of about 30 to 40 guys, whereas the Los Angeles, like the Dallas, had 100 to 120. So is this scale plausible in the submarine of this size, or are we have we moved into something that's a little maybe exaggerated for the movie? Uh, look, at, look at, I mean, missile tubes on U.S. subs which uh, they call they call Sherwood Forest on the American subs. The long rows on an Ohio 
are huge. The missiles themselves are enormous. Um, so it, it feels right to me, especially and given the size of the they're vertical. Yeah. They're vertical. Yeah. yeah. If you want to get like sort of a, an idea of like the size, um, I think um, uh, Crimson Tide does a great a great job with the missile boat because we've got that wonderful scene where Denzel Washington's character is taking a jog along and, and it gives you the scope of, of the enormity of missile boats versus like the Dallas where everybody feels like super duper like crammed in or even this attack sub, uh-huh. right? Where they're all just kind of like enclosed together. But yeah, the enormity of those those missiles is really, really kind of... Gene Hackman's dull dog piddles on one in Crimson Tide. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. Oh, gosh. The one, like, pet the dog moment where it's like, oh, no, it's a bad dog and a bad man. (laughs) Peeing on on our missile, too. This was great. This this... was a leap to your feet moment in the theater. Everybody in the theater lost their minds when this happened. When he says that, everybody stood up and screamed. And there, you guys, that's what I was talking about before. Just the line, way to go, Dallas cues mm-hmm. us to what's mm-hmm. going on like i don't know that we would get it without it you know yeah. or we'd have to think through it and put it together and that's where i was that's what i was kind of meaning about what what dialogue manages to do with with all these maneuvers and you get to have live footage of a u.s navy submarine doing an emergency surface blow all tanks everything which so is a rich amazing. and rare thing yeah, i'm pretty sure that was front and center in the trailer so like we got no, that dude bit. was front and center in the trailer. That guy, <laughs> yeah. a new breed of hero, a new breed of hero for the nineties. Wow! And all, this whole reaction, everything about this is so beautiful. He's got him on the run. It just eat your eat your Ritz cracker, eat your taste of America, eat you enjoy your taste of America. You'll be sent back all too soon. So once once this movie steps into action movie, so this is Die Hard phase. Now. <laughs> this this is where it's very McTiernan. He starts to you start to see the Jean Wu kind of influence on some of the camera moves even earlier than this, and then he goes full kind of John Wu when when the actual kill comes down. It's becomes otherworldly for a moment for some reason, but I always kind of appreciated it. Like I don't know why uh, shooting a guy would create a gust of wind, but it does here. That's great. That's great. Oh, man, that's great. <laughs> Look at that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love it, but, you know, it's just that one moment in the whole movie that kind of steps out of reality completely. And then, yeah, you're right, Mitch. We constantly get the little nudges of exposition to let you know what's happening. It's locked on us. And now Mancuso gets his job, his his turn to drive this big truck, and show his mm-hmm. own expertise. Get a little um, exposition about chicken playing chicken. How to do so? I think he said the same thing in the keep. If I remember right, I don't, I don't <laughs> quite remember that. There's the dialogue another, helping us out. <laughs> and then another big cheer and a and a nice big red star. 
<laughs> yes. They cut in, spliced in that red star. Now, this right is at an the moment amazing of explosion. explosion of water. Oh. Do you is it? Do you think it's an optical or do you think it's practical? Oh, that's it's practical because they clearly. I mean, you saw it next to the ship in scale. I'm I'm pretty sure that they detonated a you know I don't know a couple hundred pounds of something. Yeah. Oh, it looks amazing. Oh, the old. <laughs> The always supportive face of Dr. Pelt. I think that have a the, jelly uh, belly. Have a jelly belly. Uh, the jelly beans, right? This is the Reagan. Ronald Reagan <laughs> kept a bowl Reagan of jelly beans on his desk. Jelly belly specifically. Jelly yeah. belly specifically. Yeah. A lot of whip hands in this movie. Mm. Yeah. And I yours, Andre. Looking at him over the glasses, he's great. He's yeah, he's really lording over him now. Do you know that Joss we're all... is short for Jocelyn? His middle name was Jocelyn. No. Yeah. Not know that. You're welcome. Human jowl, <laughs> Joss Ackland. He's so jowly. <laughs> Jason, you're gonna look like him when you're his age. You shut up. If I have half that dignity, if I can have even <laughs> half of his cocaine operation from Lethal Weapon 2. I will die a rich man. How many Krugerrands could you possibly have at that point? Making sure I'm not standing on drop cloth. You, uh, Daz, there's your big laugh. You yeah, look like a, you look like a chump. Laugh. You look like a chump with your dumb hand. And it's great in that accent, too. Always great to end a really good movie on the worst rear screen Pro- process work right. imaginable. It's rear screen, but somehow day for and night. It's day for night. <laughs> I mean, it's like, wait, really like, what are you guys you, doing? Yeah. I'm sorry. Bunch of but, grouches I'm watching this with. Oh my god. Well, it, I mean, it, it is it pretty is sour pusses. <laughs> it's phony, man. I'm sorry. That's real. I mean, after maybe. all That's the real stuff we got at the night, be- right there. But this, yeah. Well, they, so they had to match the day for night of their B-roll. Is that why they did it this way? I don't and then there's like, and and who can see this far at night? Like it's just, yeah. it's so bad for so many reasons. That like, right couldn't there. that at least be out of focus behind you or something? Just try to sell it. Yeah, that looks like something out of you know Dick Tracy. If the colors would have been more muted or something, it's well, little, you sound yeah. like that big Dick Tracy villain, the Grouch, right now. <laughs> Yeah, you, we all remember him. The nitpicker. Seymour Cassell played him, I think. Seymour <laughs> Cassell. I think it was Robert Picardo. <laughs> Probably. But yeah, it's, it is funny, though, to start that, the movie with such amazing shots of this, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. mock-up submarine. Exactly. Beautiful, practical, like, location shooting, and then end it with this, but... I, think, then, I don't know. Maybe to, like, you know juxtapose the icy frigid morning waters of of russia or the soviet union and the comparison of the greenery i guess at night but i don't i guess at night like this wasn't a single day so like you're not fooling anybody into believing that so but there's something to that i think right the comforting embrace of and even the whole welcome to the new world i think you're right there's probably some some contrast there. Nobody's wearing a fur hat. Nobody's saying yeah. it's cold and hard. I think you're right. It's because they they're, in, executed a sta- it they're in a studio in a soundstage. You shut up. Screen. You're the worst. <laughs> Everything's Columbo well, to you now. It's all Columbo. Because they're, it's November in Maine where it's nice and warm all the time. Yeah. Uh, 
Oh, there's a lady. Oh, look, oh, a lady. She's, 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 she's talking. Something. She's talking. And we get the bear from Die Hard. There's your best. The exact same bear. Supporting actress nominee right there from Red October. <laughs> there's her clip. I don't remember Medicine Man very well, but was this bear in Medicine Man? No, it was, little, it was is, Lorraine It's Bronco, literally the idiot. same prop. It was Lorraine Bracco. <laughs> oh, man. Well, thank you, Jason and Aaron, yeah. joining us for this uh, wonderful afternoon watching this movie. Hard together. to love this movie anymore, man. I mean, yeah. it's McTiernan. At the, his, 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 his trilogy, his, his solid triple is just... I could talk yeah. about those three missed, movies. Missed the quadfecta by one. Yeah, yep. hard, it. It and missed it hard, there. like like really turfed <laughs> out. But I can. The one watch. before Predator's really really bad, and the one after this is pretty bad. Did you too. see that the bottom four, three of the bottom four credits were women? It was. It, oh, that was sad. That, <laughs> was, like they did it on that was all of them. Oh yeah, get it. Let's look for some women in the credits. Get a, get, Sharon get Wilson there. Ewing. Get okay. them in there in the credits. Oh man. She was the second assistant photographer. Debbie Joe Grillo, cable person. Oh, and sound trying editor. to get some more women. <laughs> Pamela Bentkowski, supervising Foley editor. Assistant sound editor and... Alan Holworth, look at that. John Carpenter's guy did John assistant, guy. assistant he, sound effects. He probably did all of the, the electronic drums at the end during the climax because I swear it does not sound like Polydorus did that stuff. Or if he did, that is such a crazy right turn away from everything he's done in the rest of the score. Assisted to Mr. Mm. McTiernan, dealer to Mr. McTiernan, let's see, Boom. government relations, and a technical consultant, a retired, okay. So I think we get a lot of naval thank yous at the end of this. Probably, yeah. So the only thing that we like more than submarine movies is Star Trek, right, everybody? Is that correct? Uh, <laughs> Got everybody on that? We enjoy Star Trek. Well, we enjoy it quite a bit. I guarantee you probably all of our favorite Star Trek movie is a submarine movie, yeah. too. So. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Star Trek's at it's, its best funny how they go a, together. it's a submarine movie. Yeah, I agree in a lot of, a lot of cases. Visual effects director of photography Dave Stewart, he'd taken a break from the Eurythmics to work on this film. Oh, you're not talking about the Oakland A's picture? River Sequence, there you go, by the Chandler Group. River Sequence, so lay the blame firmly at the feet of the Chandler Group. Undoubtedly went out of business immediately after this movie was released. (laughs) Got only two music uh, credits, that's interesting. There we go. No popular music in that movie. So two Coast Guard cutters. Wow. San Diego, San Diego, San Diego. And then everybody mm. who helped him with actual wow, and a big shout out to Magnavox. Do you know they they said when they built the set um, for the Dallas that they looked at all the Navy plans and they said let's do the interior but have uh, aircraft people engineers come in and build the interior mm. and to make it look just a little bit different, a little bit more like yeah. And then when you look at it, you're like, oh yeah, it kind of does look like the inside of an airplane. We did it. That's it, folks. We got there. That's Paramount. it. Thank you again Paramount for everybody company. for joining us. Thanks to you guys for zooming in to do this so we could all be together. And we'll see everybody next time on whatever we decide to do next. Uh, swing right. Shift. I put. I nominated Swing Shift. I love that movie. That's just me. I just. I love that movie. Yeah, it, it is just you. Okay. All right. Fine. That's it.